Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall. Well, hello and welcome, dear listener. Welcome to the 100th edition of Achtung Millwall, your favourite and number one Millwall podcast, of course. Now, I'm following the example of... Uh, a friend of mine, Neil Bradley, who does a podcast, a great podcast, incidentally, called The Likes of Us, and he's developed a, a style of speaking whilst driving his car to work, and I'm following suit, because it's a great podcast, well worth listening, um, if you're into working class life, history, politics, it's a great show, and I recommend it, The Likes of Us by Neil Bradley, and he, as he refers to it, uses his mobile recording studio, which is, is his car, and I'm following suit. So you might hear the noises of traffic behind me and out in front of me. Hopefully the sound quality is good enough, but I thought I'd take advantage of a little bit of free time to um, do a little bit of a talk to you about this 100th edition of the show. Now, I must admit, when I started to do this podcasting thing, um, I never expected it to make 100 editions, if I'm I'm honest. Um, Now, those that have followed the show from the start will know that... Once upon a time, I worked with an individual by the name of Ant Mead, a highly controversial person um, whose mill career finished up going down the ball of flames after an altercation with a well-known mill supporter online, who we won't name. And nor will I go into the details of that said incident, dear listener. It was an altercation, and then um, Ant made um, a lot of it, rightly or wrongly. He would say rightly, others would say wrongly and took it down some dark roads from a mill perspective with a threat of legal action which never came to pass. It all finished up in a, in a farcical situation. Not helped by Ant's clear um, issues of mental health, which I always felt sorry for him about, but it's hard to keep on feeling sorry for somebody 
that tells you about their problems relentlessly. So enough of Ant Meads. Um, now here, <coughs> Ant, as you will recall, um, first contacted me on a show called The Mill Hangover a long time ago. And that arose um, as a consequence of, a, of a, a series that he was doing called Interviews, where he interviewed various people online he'd met um, regarding their, their lives. And he, he, he um, contacted me to talk about my Millwall kind of um, activities, which at that time was doing the fanzine, CBL uh, fanzine magazine. And we did this Interviews interview about, um, about that and various other things. And it planted the seed in my head that um, what was needed, um, you might disagree with this, but what was needed was a regular weekly review of Matters Millwall that was independent of the club, um, where you could talk as um, about issues as they really are, I suppose. So Ant and I began doing a weekly Sunday morning show, which initially was just a him and I speaking to each other, Pete and Dud style, um, about yesterday's game. Uh, we called it the Mill Hangover. I'm sure many of you listeners will remember it. Um, and bit by bit as it went along, um, I did a little round table um, thing with some of my favourite Mill voices. Don Bone, Derek King, Peter Hurd, Barry Perkins. Uh, and we do like a round table discussion, which I called Achtung Millwall, just to distinguish it from uh, the Hangover uh, format of, a, of an interview. Now, as, as things ran along with the, with the Mill Hangover, I started bit by bit to um, do a little bit of um, coverage of the, of the game whilst it was happening, um, speaking into a microphone, kind of doing a commentary, I suppose. I always had this childhood fantasy of being a commentator, like a modern-day successor to Hugh Johns in my, in my fantasy world I've created for myself. Now, um, I don't think I was ever that good, and obviously there's a limited amount of interest in those life pieces, but I carried that forward when the hangover crashed and burned after Ant's altercation and subsequent um, online railing against the world. Um, he disappeared from the mill scene probably about two years ago now, and um, I found that I was left with a, with a problem, a bit like uh, Paul McCartney when he left the Beatles. Famously, he had no band. I don't know if, you've, um, if you're a fan of the Beatles, dear listeners, but McCartney left the Beatles and then formed Wings. Um, some will say not such a good band, I would say that too. So, just like McCartney, I left the Beatles and formed Wings, which is now called Acton Millwall, um, in my metaphorical um, image there. So, um, yeah, problem, because um, I was trying to do a podcast single-handed. Now, that's quite a difficult thing if you've ever tried to do anything like it. You're basically speaking to yourself. You are the the nutcase that speaks to himself in the ground and at the moment I'm the nutcase speaking to himself in the car. It's quite a strange thing to do, try it sometime. It's, um, it's both liberating and scary all, all rolled up into one and a bit mad, uh, a bit insane actually. I do believe that there's, a, there's always a place for a bit of insanity in this world. That's why I do my podcasting. So yeah, the uh, the mill hangover was dead and Achtung Mill took its place. Now. Very quickly, I worked out that in order to sound interesting for you listeners, which is what I've always wanted to do, I needed to um, expand on the, the, the kind of commentary part, shall we call it, and I needed to get away from it being a commentary. I needed to describe the major incidents of the game and give a bit of colour to proceedings so that listeners around the world could 
get a sense of what it was like to be at Millwall. So you're going to get the language, you're going to get the witty comments, you're going to get the, um, the highs and the lows. But also it needed to be a little bit more than just me commentating what was happening in front of me. So I, I suppose I allowed myself the self-indulgence, the luxury, self-indulgence, whatever you want to call it, of turning it into something of a stream of consciousness. And I'm aware that some people will like that. Some people won't like it. Um, where do you stand, dear listener? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping you like it because you're listening to this. So um, I developed a, a, what I call a stream of consciousness, which basically is what I've always found at football, is that you're watching the game and sometimes you're involved in it, you're in the moment, and other times odd random things popping into your head. And uh, I find this in life generally, actually. The most sombre moments of things will leap into my mind. Obscene things leap into my head during the course of work meetings, I'm sure you do too, but I thought I'd give voice to the mad voice, the mad thing inside my head, you know, the, uh, the, the ghost in the machine or whatever you want to call it, and just let that come through in the course of my, my, my commentaries. So um, that's basically always been the first part of the show ever since the demise of The Hangover. And then rotational um, guest appearances from the likes of uh, Harry Warren, Omar Renane, Glenn from This Is Millwall, uh, Stuza, Mark Litchfield recently, Charlie Mahoney. We rotate those guest voices to give a bit of a, a bit of second opinion, so it's not just me and my voice. You can, I, I really enjoy that part of the show. Plus, over the course of time, I've done some odds and ends. I've done some interviews with uh, Frank Harper, I seem to remember. Um, one of uh, Tony Warner. Some some really um, interesting little pieces with um, Frank Warren or Kenny. Um, Frank Warren, Kenny Maloney, well, Kenny Maloney, Frank Warren won't thank me for that, will he? Kenny Maloney, formerly Frank Maloney. So, as time has progressed, we've hopefully developed Achtung Millwall into what I've always wanted it to be, which is, I trust, an intelligent Millwall podcast that captures something of what it is to be a Millwall fan, the highs, the lows, the humour, most of all the humour, because... We don't follow lines for success, dear listeners, do we? So I've tried always to um, make it into something slightly more than just a football show. Whether I've achieved that or not, I don't know. You have to try these things. And you've got to, you've got to give it a go. Because this show and this podcast derives from what I always think of as the punk rock tradition. That you can do it yourself. You, dear listener can do it all yourself. Modern technology allows you to, to be a radio star, a TV star, a writer that publishes your own work. It's dead easy actually, it doesn't really take much doing at all. If I can do it, you can do it. And what I've always wanted, more than anything else, is um, what we're starting to see a little bit, where other people will have a go, especially with the podcasting and, and the, the video blogging, you're seeing a little bit of that now online. Um, where people will have, have their own say, have their own voice. Football, it doesn't belong to those in charge of it, not really, they just pay for it. It belongs to the fans, it belongs to you and me. Excuse me as ambulance go past. Real life, yes, yeah, it's gritty hackney that I'm going through here. It belongs to you and me, dear listeners. It doesn't belong to the, the suits. Uh, it is our sport. And the great modern trend, of course, is for football to be sanitised, corporatised, and turned into a kind of a safe space in, in some way. Now, I, I come from the generation and the era where we kind of rail against that. We can't, I can't actually abide it, all this kind of um, half-and-half scarves and 
clapping, clappers in the crowd and friendly bands with Oppo supporters. I, I, I still belong to the hate and war tradition of, of um, the 1970s. So, very much, I, the, the one message I want to come out of this 100th edition of Achtung Millwall is that you too, you listener, you can do this too. <clears throat> All you need is your iPhone, your smartphone, you need to set up an account with one of the dead easy podcast companies. You need to do a little bit of editing of sounds. It's not that difficult. Get on a, a computer, get Audacity or GarageBand, which is what I use. And you can do it quite quickly and easily. Believe me, um, if I could do it, like I just said, you can do it too. So there we are. This is my message to you all, dear listeners. 100 editions in. Achtung Mill is saying to you, it's time for it not just to be me doing this. It's time for it not to be just Lions TV or even Lions Live Radio. I admire both formats of those, by the way. But now it's your time. It is your show. It is your sport. Where are your, where's your fanzine? Where's your podcast? Where's your vlog, your video log? It's time for you to have your voice. So in 100 editions time, I don't want it just to be me doing this. I want it to be you too. Thank you for listening to Acton Millwall. And I hope you enjoy this 100th edition. Meine Damen und Herren, das ist Achtung Mühlwahl Nummer 100. Well, that's enough of all that old tosh, dear listener. Welcome to a cold, wet, grey, rainy Saturday afternoon in South Bermondsey to the Den, Zampa Road, for the visit of Bristol Rovers. Sound out of breath, it's because I've rushed from the car. There was a moment coming through the Rotherhive Tunnel where I thought I might never make it, but I did make it. It's been a bit of a um, fraught driving exercise to park up and walk around to the ground, but just made it. I, I get very edgy. I don't know about you. I get very edgy as kickoff gets. I, I've got this mental thing about missing kickoffs. I always imagine there's going to be the one goal of the game gets scored from kickoff. I've just missed it, and that was going to be a waste of my afternoon. Well, you know what I mean. But anyway, made it. Big news at the den today is the starting place in the lineup for Harry Smith, our young striker who did well in the checker trade nonsense midweek. Starts today up front in place of Steve Morrison, injured last week, of course. Uh, he's neat. It's a bold choice by Neil Harris to start the youngster, newly out of non league football. I mean, he's been playing for the under 21s, reserves, and so on and so forth. Uh, a couple of goals in the checker trade in the week up at Luton. And it's a fantastically bold choice by Neil Harris to start him today against Bristol Rovers. So well done, Neil. Uh, Joe Martin returns to the defence on the left side. Tony Craig moving into central spot with the, uh, the late pullout on, on again on Tuesday night of uh, Hutchinson. Our glass-limbed central defender we seem to have signed. Now today is the day after Armistice Day, so it's going to be a short remembrance service before today's match. So I'm going to go quiet with the crowd for that. Hope you appreciate that. I know dead time, dead air on the radio never works, but for this, you're going to get it whether you like it or not. I think it's appropriate. We will. 
Nicely done there, you heard it. Don't need me to tell you it. Very well done, Millwall. Very well done, Bristol Rovers. A bit of confusion, me included. The crowd thought that was it, the um, last post. And then the referee's whistle, actually, there was a minute's silence. I didn't give you the full minute silence in the end, I apologise, because it all got a bit haywire. But you get the sense of um, how well observed that was. I hope that, uh, hope that doesn't disappoint any listeners. Well, there we go. Rovers all in yellow, attacking the cold blow lane ends. Millwall in their stripes, attacking the away end in the first half. I'll tell you what, Harry Smith is a big lad, he's a big boy. He's, he's, he's visibly tall, even from this far distance I'm watching. He's up front with Lee Gregory. In goal is Jordan Archer. Back line, you've got Joe Martin, you've got Tony Craig, Byron Webster, Marlon. Across the middle, Sean Williams, Ben Thompson, Fred on the right. And Aidan O'Brien on the left. Front two, obviously, Harry Smith. Fantastic name, old school name. And Lee Gregory. Speaking after a couple of goals in the checker trade Tuesday night, Smith told the news at the end that he loved playing for Millwall and can't wait for more, saying all the right things. He's got his feet on the floor, though, he says, on the news at the end. He's got his feet on the floor, he's grounded, loved playing for us and can't wait for more. He's getting his chance today. Good to see. Well done, Neil Harris. Gloomy day, the uh, floodlights of the docker stand opposite me, piercing through the kind of misty cloud that's in the air. It's not that cold, actually. I've, I've come dressed for the Antarctic. But it's not that cold today. It's a little bit hot and sweaty as it as it goes. Sat sitting up here in the in the high stand. Early middle attack is Gregory on the edge of the penalty. He finds Smith just inside. Lovely little one to the little kind of outside of the foot. Curly chip on two minutes. Two minutes 40. Lee Gregory almost the third minute. High and wide as it turned out. It was a nice little move. Nice little partnership in the in the in the uh, blooming there perhaps. The beautiful back heel. I'm just watching the repo. Beautiful little back heel from Harry Smith. Nice imagination there from the boy. Bristol Rovers coming to today's game fifth. Seven wins, five draws, four losses. <coughs> goal difference plus three. Millwall, of course, sitting in 13th. 6-3-6 with a minus two goal difference. In comes that corner. Curled in to the mix. Bounces around. It almost catches Williams. Williams on the second rebound. This is Webster now on the left-hand side. He tries to float it. Crowd howling for a, a handball. It would have been harsh as it just fired into his chest in actual fact. And Rovers clear it. It's a bright start for Lyons, another attack now, this is Aidan O'Brien on the left, he's got Williams more centrally. Lyons passing the ball around, Bristol on the attack now, there's a cross into the middle box near post, it's Craig somehow keeps it away, it's half cleared there by uh, Martin, it's going to be a corner. So five minutes, in comes the Bristol corner, fired into the middle, it's a flicked header wide of the, of the left-hand post, that was actually quite close. Derision in the den, but that wasn't too bad, it was a flick header, it must come off a 
and Mill Plaz going to be a corner on the left hand side now. That was that was a close opportunity for Bristol Rovers. An open, uh, an open, open, opening seven minutes. That makes no sense. I'm, if I was writing that, I'd rewrite that. It's an open, opening seven minutes. In comes a corner into the middle. It's off the line, headed on from close range and fired over the bar from close. That was a real second real opportunity for Bristol. Um, headed close, almost point blank range, and somehow hooked off the, the line. I think it was Tony Craig, the much maligned Craig, saves Millwall. Let's have a look at the replay though before I, I give him too much praise. Though, don't want to be doing that. I say sarcastic. Let's have a look at it now. In comes the corner, headed from close, and it was Tony Tony Craig, I think, that fired, hooked it off the line and fired over the bar from close on the follow-up. Bristol looking a useful side. They're spreading the play wide quite well there. Craig again interferes with play. Marty's going to lump it clear. There he goes. Eight minutes. Smith's winning some nice ball. Flick on headers there, finding Gregory in the in the Steve Morrison style. Ben Thompson on the edge of the penalty area, he twists and he turns, he has a shot, that was greedy, he gets greedy, he had Fred Wyatt, Ed Marlon's calling him out there as well, he knows it, that was greedy, self-indulgent, I'm not going to uh, dig him out for being self-indulgent, I can be self-indulgent sometimes, listeners, I'm going to confess to you, just reading news of them, Smith plucked from the eighth tier of English football, I can't remember which non-league club it was he, he came from, was it Maidstone, uh, one of the Kent clubs, non-league clubs, the eighth tier to at the moment, the third tier is quite a step up, and so far, it doesn't look out of his depth at all. But there's a first, a long pass forward along the deck to Harry Smith, who clearly is able to um, play the, low, the, the, the kind of game on the deck and in the end. Marlon now cuts in from the right, tries to find Smith, he heads it on target, off the line there by the goalkeeper. It's just a little bit more power in that header, back into the mix. Falls now to Joe Martin on the edge of the penalty area. Going to be a free kick, Millwall, on from the 10, just on the D. Penalty here, 18 minutes, the line's looking alive. That sending off is in live on our side. Lovely like, little ball in from um, Fred there. And that's a, actually a looping header. It was on target. Just a little bit more power from Smith, and that would have gone in for his first goal of his career in the league anyway. Two goals in the checker trade. Incidentally, we've um, progressed in the Sheker trade to the quarterfinals, is it? Uh, the Southern Area quarterfinals against Wickham Wanderers. Contain your enthusiasm, dear listeners. Apologies, dear listeners. Somehow I managed to misrecord the turning point of the game, which was the sending off in the 14th minute of the Bristol Rovers defender. Apologies for that mishap. So a mill free kick from about two or three yards short of the D. Williams takes on target. Left-hand side, right-hand side, low. Push around for a corner. 19 minutes. Coming up for 20 minutes. The line's very much in the ascendancy since the sending off. But don't discount Bristol Rovers. They look like a, a decent side when they pass the ball around. And they've actually um, taken our defence apart slightly at times. Williams floats a ball back into the middle towards Smith. He's winning every ball that's aimed at him at the moment in the air. He's looking pretty useful on the deck. This runs wide now. This is Ben Thompson. Beautiful little take and turn there. The right. Lump back in the middle. Falls to... Got one nil, Aidan O'Brien from close range from Gregory. Gregory shot close, falls to Aidan O'Brien. He does a comedy walk away. One nil, Mill, 22 minutes. Watch it again on the replay. Ball in from the right hand side. It falls to Gregory, twists and turns, fires at the goalkeeper, and in by O'Brien on the rebound. Beautifully done. One nil, Millwall. Well, Bristol's day's gone from bad to worse, there, isn't it? From uh, sending off to going one nil down. After a pretty bright start, in all fairness, by them. But there we are. There we go. That's the game. That's the game we play. 
Beautiful long ball forwards finds Lee Gregory over on the right-hand side. He does a beautiful little shimmy. I think it's an old-fashioned word, a shimmy. Wasn't that a dance in the, back in the olden days? You used to shimmy, strictly come dancing or something. Beautiful little one-two from Fred and Marlon. That's going to be put out for a throw-in. 24 minutes, the Lions very much in control now. Proceedings, a goal ahead, a man ahead, and looking very much more confident than they did at times in the opening phase of the game. Beautiful wide ball. I think the Lions are actually exploiting their man's advantage. I don't think I've ever said that on any of these 100 shows. Today is the 100th edition of Actong Mill, and I don't think I've ever, when I actually think over the course of my Mill sporting career, where I've actually had the chance to say that Mill are exploiting their man advantage by spreading play. But that seems to be what I'm seeing at the moment. It's, um, it's quite something. Must get too overconfident. Bristol still don't look a bad side, but the Lions are moving the ball around, sprayed wide there by Ben Thompson. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's almost like saying Donald Trump is president or something. Right-hand side corner. Mill dominant at the moment. Pressure. We need to get a second goal just to um, start to put the cushion, the cushion of defeat between us and Bristol. That sounds like something the Pentagon will be talking to Trumpy about. The cushion of defeat when he goes into Aleppo or somewhere and kick shit wherever he wants to do now. A bit of politics there for you, listeners. Bristol don't look a, a, look a pale shadow of the team that was actually looking quite decent in the opening 10 minutes. Clearly going a man down, hasn't helped their calls any. Um, Lions hold the goal, single goal advantage, looking pretty good on it. Some really attractive football at times. Um, exploiting the man advantage, which is all you can do. Um, but still, I'd be happier once we get the second goal. Shot from the edge of the penalty over the bar from the... 34, I think it was, 31 minutes. The Bristol Rovers, uh, this is the, the, the 100th show, as, as I think you're by now aware, our 100th edition of Achtung Millwall. So um, my mind goes backwards. My mind casts back a long, long time. Bristol Rovers was the first ever proper away game I ever went to, and it was, it was the infamous game, actually, covered on the, on the Panorama programme, the famous Panorama programme, Treatment, F Troop and the halfway line. Um... So, yeah, that was the first time I ever went away properly. I've been to London games, but they don't, didn't seem to count in quite the, the same way as the, uh, the trip from Grove Park Station all the way up to town, underground, and then Paddington westwards out to Temple Meads. Me and my mate Yarksy, I used to know on the, on the Mottingham estate, we had the idea that we'd go away with Millwall. Don't, don't ask me why we chose that particular game. It wasn't a particularly glamorous fixture. But um, this is Martin now on the left side of the penalty. Floats it in. That's going to be too long for everybody. So, yeah, we, uh, me and Yarks went from um, Grove Park. Got the train westwards to um, Bristol Rovers. Now, I think the thing to bear in mind for younger listeners is that back then, we're talking about 1977, uh, there was no internet. It hadn't even, wasn't even a glimmer in um, Sir Stephen Hawking's, uh, what's his name, Tim, Tim what's his, I can't remember, Tim Myers is, is his name? I don't know, the bloke who invented the internet. There wasn't even a twinkle in his, in his eye. Um, what he had to go on was the, uh, the Rothmans football yearbook, which had uh, how to get there section. And all it mentioned in that was a one-sentence line, I remember it well, my old uh, 1972 edition, that you got a, a bus from... Uh, Temple Mead Station to Eastville. The name of the stadium then was Eastville. Um, and that's basically what I'd, I'd written that down on a piece of paper, so not Paddington Bear. Uh, but me and Yarksy set off from Paddington. Got off at Bristol Tem, uh, Temple Meads. Nearly said Thames Mead, that's a different place. And we got, I think it was a 50 something bus, 54, 55, 56, I don't know, um, through the, the back doubles of Bristol, which was a strange experience. I'd never actually left London at that stage of my life. I was 17. Not long started work, had some money for the first time in my life and decided that what I wanted to do with that money was 
invest it in a long trip to, um, to, to Bristol, watch Millwall. And so we found ourselves at Eastville, which was a, a, a strange stadium as I look back. Um, as I, now I understand it to be a, a character-filled stadium of the old school. Uh, it was actually, I think it doubled as a Greyhound Stadium, Eastville. I well remember there's a motorway cutting across one end. I've got a, a sense of there being electric pylons. I might, I might be confusing that with Plough Lane. I know it had a cramped one end, and the other end was like a, the totalisator board, which was famous at the end where the trouble kicked off when, um, I think it was Harry the Dog, according to the programme at least, staged a one-man attempted taking of the Bristol end. And um, Will got handed uh, surgical masks, and I, I, I kept it for some years. Never wore it. Um, it wasn't my kind of scene, but I remember being given this surgical mask, and there was all sorts of mayhem around the stadium as the uh, mill, as I now know, played up to the camera somewhat. It's mill corners I'm talking on the right-hand side, ball into the mix. Falls to Joe Martin, the right hand ball there. Referee's not going to give that, I think, after that uh, controversial red card earlier on. And Bristol bring it away. A couple of memories. I remember seeing uh, Bristol Rovers fans. We, we were in kind of like a mixed section. I don't know if we got in there, actually. We must have paid on the turnstiles and gone in the wrong part. It was a kind of like a mixed, um, or the home section, perhaps. And there were some uh, fans next to me with uh, Bristol Rovers scarves teamed with Arsenal scarves. I've never seen this before. Nowadays, maybe um, the half-and-half half scarf era, it wouldn't seem so shocking. Back then, it seemed a bit odd that you'd uh, follow Bristol Rovers and you'd also be wearing Arsenal colours. But that's what I saw with my own eyes. I saw it. Remember the, uh, the chant, Rovers, Rovers. And, of course, the, um, the trouble... Um, during the course of the game, um, which has passed into the stuff of legend, thanks to the controversial BBC documentary that was being made at that time, and which um, covered that particular away game where I was at. Lions lost it 2-0, I seem to remember. Paul Randall, um, I believe, was the, the main man for Bristol at that time in their quartered shirts, famous quartered shirts. And we had a long, miserable trip home. Welcome to away, tra away travel with Millwall. Bristol back on his hand on the left-hand side. Millwall just been a little bit casual in defence, 37 minutes. So, yeah, my memory of watching the infamous Panorama programme, which I was fascinated to see, because um, we'd heard all about this TV programme being made. I, and Again, we live in the era of tablets and everyone's sitting watching their phones individually in different rooms. Back then, kids, you had to watch the same programmes, only three channels on television, and you had to watch the same programmes as your mum and dad chose. And uh, I, 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 was, I ached, itched to watch Panorama. I had to sit and watch with mum and dad, which um, I squirmed. It was a bit like watching the world about us when animals started copulating. So it was when um, Harry the dog and Billy, whatever his name was, all into the milk box there, brought away. Were effing and blinding and talking about um, cunts and, and whatnot. Uh, sitting over your mum and dad, it was just all a bit awkward for me. Uh, and then I never saw it ever again until the age of the internet when it, it turns up. And it can be found on YouTube as the Lions hoof it clear at last from that bit of pressure from Bristol. 38 minutes. One thing I do remember, having not seen it in 30 odd years, uh, 35 years until I found it on, on YouTube, was the, um, the opening sequence where a little boy singing um, the Doris Day song, What Will It Be? Will It Be Arsenal? Will It Be Spurs? As the sun kind of sets across the, the old Coldblow Lane uh, view from the, from the dog track. Well, it was a dog track still at that time, even though it was shut. Um, I always had that memory, and then I was like one of those, um, that idea of uh, invented memory. It's a psychological condition, is it? I thought I'd invented that, and then I found it on, found the show on YouTube, and lo and behold, I wasn't inventing that memory. That was indeed how the, the programme started. 
well worth checking out. It's of its time, let's put it that way. Have, have a check of it on YouTube. It is of its time, and it portrays a certain time, a certain place, and a certain stage of um, everyone's lives. It was uh, it still come down to then, really. Certainly the impact on the club was catastrophic. Um, it, it was a start, really, of the formation of the idea that Millwall represented the, the convenient coat peg that Reg Burr spoke about um, in the 80s that society could hang its heels on. Um, forever thereafter, Millwall and the subject of hooliganism, as it was called then, was associated in the public mind. Um, I think the club was stitched up somewhat. Um, I'm sure that half of it was played up for the cameras. Um, but ever since then, we've been the dog that's had a bad name attached to it, rightly or wrongly. Right, rightly on occasions, we've got to be honest, haven't we? Um, we can't have uh, lived through the 1980s, Luton, and then the Birmingham riot 2002 without knowing that we have a, an element amidst our support that doesn't, uh, doesn't take shit. But equally, um, so do many other clubs, but we, we became the club that it became associated with for... I was going to say for better or for worse, it probably is for worse overall, but equally it's our identity. And um, that's what we all, we all know. That's what we all follow. That's what we all love, actually. There's part of us that loves it and hates it. There we are. The duality of man, as they say in um, Full Metal Jacket. The peace symbol teamed with the American gun and helmet. Make of that what you will, listeners. I don't know what I'm on about now. This is Fred on the left, 41 minutes. The Lions... Just looked a little bit um, casual the last few minutes. Defensively, there's a welcome chance to keep the ball down the Bristol end. Aidan O'Brien concedes a free kick, just as I said that. Bristol on the attack here, 43 minutes on the clock. Coming down our left again, ball into the box. That's a flick header on, so, no, just short of the target, taken easily enough by Jill Narcher, but I thought it was a touch closer than it actually turned out to be. Bristol Rovers, of course, known as the Pirates in my time, but also more, more recently that I've been aware of, known as the Gas. I presume that to be related to the gasworks that maybe was near the old ground, Eastfield. I don't know. Was there a gasworks down there? Am I Again, is that an invented memory? Or is it wishful thinking? I don't know. Nevertheless, one of the great English nicknames. Uh, the, 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 the game is replete with nicknames. They, so far, in amongst the um, sanitisation of the game, they can't nick your nickname. Not yet. Although I did read that Red Bull thing about buying an English club. There's a Red Bull Vienna, I believe, isn't there? And Red Bull New York, I know. And Red Bull are after, um, I don't know, who's going to be Swindon, I believe. Red Bull Swindon, that's, that's, that, that, that can't be allowed to happen, dear listeners. If the Football League or the FA have any role or function left in them. And they showed a little bit of balls and bollocks the other night against Scotland, by wearing the poppy against FIFA's um, diktats. But if they do still have anything in them, then they've got to put the block on Red Bull buying Swindon and renaming them. Time allowed. Like failing, the, the rain stopped a little bit, it's still very damp in the air as uh, these last couple of minutes of the first half tipped past. It's a, it's a cool, wet, muddy English day. Wherever you're listening, in uh, Wagga Wagga, Woomera, or the High Veldt, Savannah, wherever you are in, in, in the world, this is England. And this is what I love. I love, I love cold, grey winter's days. Appeals to the melancholic within me. Bristol still trying to pass the ball, despite their demand disadvantage. Um, they're still trying to persevere. I think they still see they're in with a chance as the, the, uh, the, the half ticks towards half time. A free kick for them on the left-hand side. They, they look like a decent side in all, in all fairness. Little ball over the top there, down the left-hand side. That's going to go. The man's got some space. Falls inside. Oh, that was an opportunity there. To the, the, their forward couldn't control. It was played back from the, the left-hand side angle back, and then he couldn't control. 
Mill, Mill catch a break there in all honesty. They've, they've looked a little bit um, wobbly in defence, the Lions today. Ben wins a corner, bang on half-time. Meine Damen und Herren, das ist Achtung Mühlweil, Nummer 100. So there's a the half-time break, Lions leading 1-0, justifiably so. We had a good spell when the, when the, uh, the sending off on goal, in all honesty. I thought Bristol Rovers have now found their pattern again as the halves wore on. And I'm not looking at bad side. We, we have work to do. This is not all over and done with by any stretch of the imagination. A few half-time tweets for you, dear listener. Lions Live Radio says half-time, Lions ahead 1-0. And pretty much in control of proceedings. The visitors are a good side, though, and can't be taken lightly. I agree with that, lot. Ed Castle thinks that he knows, or he says he knows that we all know we're going to concede a goal at some point today. It would be nice if we were 4-0 up at the time, though, with a couple of hand clasps in prayer style from Ed Castle there. Rumpy Grimace says Bristol Rovers coming back into it since the goal. They're still a threat, not comfortable at 1-0. Agree with that, Grumpy. Jay Taylor, 1-0 to Mill half-time. O'Brien's close-range goal is the difference between the two sides after Leadbitter. Leadbitter's early dismissal, that's the name of the man sent off. Leadbitter, not Leadbetter. Not Leadbelly, the blue singer, but Leadbitter. Martin Bloor accusing me of talking gas. I think he's been ironic. I posted that uh, the Bristolians are not looking a bad side. I, I thought it actually looked quite attractive at times in that first half. Clearly, they will regard the red card as, as harsh. I thought it was harsh in real time. Um, and he's making reference to me talking gas. And that puts me in mind of the T-Rex uh, song, Life's a Gas. I think that is a T-Rex song, Mark Bolan. Life's a Gas, Martin. David Leather Kramer says it was a lively first half displayed by the Lions, but Williams still too, wants too long on the ball. Smith doesn't look out of place. Agree with that, David. He looks he looks very good. And Jane Hum is pulling me up for saying it's a harsh red card. She's saying to me, why was it harsh? Wasn't he the last man? Possibly. I'd have to see it again, Jane. In real time, it looked harsh. But, you know, I'm not going to fight over it. I'm not going to have a row. I was quite happy to see him go, to be absolutely honest. Achtung, Mehlball. Second half underway. I hope you don't mind the sound of me chewing gum. Once I talked to you, found a, a little turn up, found some chewing gum in their pocket. I was just sitting there thinking, well, my mouth's dry, you know. I found some chewing gum, the small pleasures of the podcasting life. Bristol had to move grounds. I think they're playing at the Memorial Ground now. There's a rugby ground down at Bristol. They're playing in Bath for a while. I don't know if the, uh, the ground they're at now is, is actually in Bristol, if they're still in Bath. But they're using a rugby ground, the Memorial Ground, I know. Um, a, a club that fell on hard times with the demise of the Eastfield Stadium. as a ball into the box. It's going to run clear. Over wide is um, Williams. Lobbed back into the mix, so the high and wide. And ball bouncing around, it falls to O'Brien with a kind of a chip that's gone aimlessly wide. 48 and a half minutes. Ball falls loose to Smith. Ball bounces off the goalkeeper, it's going to go for a corner. Your opportunist shot left Mary Smith on the edge of the penalty area. Gregory was sniff sniffing. Referees awarded the uh, free kick away from uh, Bristol. I think Gregory judged to clatter the goalkeeper slightly. A good opportunity shot from the edge of the penalty here by Smith. I would imagine his instructions at half-time would be uh, to enjoy himself. I think he refers to in his news at Den Peace in the week. Um, he started brightly in the first half, faded slightly as he went along. And I would imagine his, his brief is to get, him, get involved, get in the mix for, for about 15-odd minutes and then they'll replace him, I would guess. Bristol on the attack now, 34. Nine inside him, they're just finding men overlapping. Mill can see the free kick on the edge of the, on the D. 
Looked like the uh, nine got his heels clipped from behind there by it was Craig. I think Craig's been spoken to. Like I said at half-time, we do have work to do here. This is not a done deal. We're leading against ten men, but this looks like a decent side. I've been actually quite impressed with Bristol, one of the better sides we've, we've seen so far. They they were not back on their on their on their haunches a little bit without sending off, but they're certainly back in this now. Bristol lining up for a shot. Clearly, it's going to be one of the chances they see. A dead ball situation just on the edge of the mill penalty area. It's going to go for a, a shot. It's blasted out the wall, out straight into it, and falls again and away. Mill crowd trying to roar on their heroes. 51 minutes, 52 coming. Paris Cowan Hall. Remember him? Still on the I, I must admit, I hadn't realised he's still on our books. He's he's on loan at Wickham. Um, report on the news at Den that his loan deal at Wickham comes to an end on January the 1st, when presumably he comes back to us. So it puts it in the, in the report, 26-year-old Cowan Hall has never nailed down a first-team place at Millwall and could leave the club in the next transfer window. I'd, I'd expect so. He's never really um, never really had the chance. He was injured for such a huge amount of time. On the one occasion I remember seeing him, he didn't look too bad. Nothing world-shattering, but not too bad. But he's never really um, been fit enough to play. And when he has been fit, other players have come in that have outshone him. So um, one would expect Paris Cowan Hall to leave in the January transfer window. Certainly his loan deal is up. At Wickham, and I would imagine, I don't know, that um, that'll be an obvious place for him to, to, to finish up. We'll see. Bristol's on the attack again. 34, looks like a decent size, made a little burst into the penalty area. Nice save by, uh, by Jordan Nash with a near post. Decent player, that 34. Little dribbly run went past Byron Webster there. Shot from the kind of tight angle. Um, low save from Jordan Nash to push around for a Bristol corner. 53 and a half minutes. There's a bloke opposite me in the middle section of the East Upper where the chaps congregate over on the, uh, the Dockers stand, East, uh, East Stand, dressed in like a, can only be described as a Guantanamo lion uh, jumpsuit. Um, I don't know what his story is, that looked like a handball there, and it's in the middle penalty area, should have been a mill free kick. Bristol just on the attack again as I'm mulling over this bloke's Guantanamo Bay get-up. It's lime green rather than orange though, so maybe um, he's from one of the, uh, I don't know, one of the other sections of Guantanamo. Not the, not the terrorist section. That's going to go for a little goal kick. Good atmosphere inside the ground as the floodlights illuminate the pitch. Emerald green, dark day, looming Selchip power station over the back of the ground. Fantastic atmosphere inside the ground. 60 minutes. A couple of minutes of mill pressure the last few, few minutes there. The Smith and Gregory just trying to develop their partnership. A little bit off key in that little move there but you can see something in those two players O'Brien leaves Borrell comes in 61 minutes on the clock is Marlon 63rd minute finds uh, Worrell on the right hand side ball into the middle from Worrell Lee Gregory falls to crowd hand for a penalty that's 2-0 Sean Williams with the penalty area, laid back by Lee Gregory, 63rd minute, that buries the game, dear listener. Fantastically taken volley, as a, from a chest down by Lee Gregory from the right-sided cross, beautifully done. Let's have a look at the replay, why not? Let's treat ourselves, why don't we? Ball from the right side, Gregory lays it back, and that's a beautiful slot home from the edge of the penalty area by Sean Williams. 2-0 and that should be good night Vianetta. 
palpable sense of relief inside the den with that second uh, goal, the two-goal cushion should settle it. Ah, the old favourites are coming out now, listeners. <laughs> sense of relief you get after a good old wee in the morning when you first get up. That kind of sense of utter relief for the bursting bladder. It's that kind of relief that I'm talking about. 65 minutes, Lions well in control now of the game. There is the song I was talking about. How, is, how about that? Is that happenstance or is it Kismet? The song I was talking about from the Panorama programme. How romantic. This is a nine on the edge of the penalty area. Ball forward trying to find his overlapping 30, 34. That goes through to Jordan Archer. A few old favourites going on over there in the Docker stand. It's good to hear. But the return of the football charm. That's, that's one thing that you tend not to get in modern day football is the football charm. That was always the... Uh, Zigazaga, the the kind of um, you know the the halfway line in full flow. It's one thing you do miss about the old days. I said I'll right, I'll get done. I'll right old old buffer. I don't mean to. This is uh, Joe Marshall on the left now. Left side across into centre. Same with George Smith. He wins the ball. Falls to Gregory. Volley's over three 0 There's the Smith Gregory combo. Three 0 Headed back by Harry Smith. Gregory takes the chest and slams over him close. 3-0, game is well and truly over. Bristol fans might as well fuck off, like the song says. Let's watch it on the replay. Smith heads it back nice. He's been doing well all game with the ball in the air. And it falls to uh, Lee Gregory, who slams it home on the volley. 3-0. Like the man says. Lee, like the man from uh, Imagination. Lee John, the three E's. That's Lee Gregory, three E's. Music and lights, sequins and poils. Bristol's day has totally collapsed. They, they actually looked um, quite good in uh, the second half of the first half and the opening phase of the second, but now 3-0 down. They look bereft. Trouserless in a public place, stripped of their dignity. I'm a Bristol Rovers fan, I'm a fucking wanker. It's like a confessional, a confessional song, isn't it? Like the blues. Ain't nobody's fault but mine. I can't read, I can't write, but one thing I can do is drive a tractor, despite living in a city of, what, one million plus? Um, but the inability to read or write, which I would think would be more valuable, but he takes comfort and solace in his driver, his, his tractor driving skills. But he does confess to being a right old wanker which I think you'd have to put your hand up to if that was your, your CV. 3-0 ahead. Butcher coming in. That's a fair call. Rest Ben Thompson. He's had a good game today. Um, man of the match. He's in, the, he's in contention. In contention. Jermaine Easter just come into the game. Matty Taylor, was he not a West Ham slag? What, Matty Taylor? Or is it, am I thinking of a different person? He's just left the game. And Jermaine Easter, I never minded actually, I always thought he did okay. He was not brilliant, don't get me wrong. He was, he was, he was the beige of um, football, wasn't he? But he did okay for us. Scored a, a crucial goal, Cholton he came on. So, you know, I don't, I don't think he warrants a boo, let's put it that way. Well, Harry Smith goes from strength to strength. He's just been in a clash, won a free kick with a Bristol player who's gone down, stayed down. And he's kind of kicking his, his, his feet on the floor. I don't know if that's rage or pain or what, or frustration. But it's kind of like a little girl stuck stamp, stomper. Uh, Smith runs away with a free kick in hand. Oppo player on the floor in pain. 
what more can you ask today? He's got he's got the right name, Harry. What, what, I mean, you're at the right club for a Harry, Harry Smith. The man is um, made an instant impact. He's an instant classic, I think. Yes, looking at Twitter, there's a few fantastic pictures of the 1988 side out on the lash on Thursday night. John Doherty, uh, the, the Bristol players arguing the toss with the referee about his, his challenge there. Fantastic to see John Doherty doing the pre-match talk in the exec lounge today. What a manager, our greatest ever manager. What a year 1987 to 88 was. Uh, and then the, the dreamland of the first division with the, uh, the, the the ultimate squad in Mill history. Certainly our greatest manager. Fantastic to see him back here today. I wish him I understand he's not been very well of late, but he certainly looks in good shape to be out on the sauce with the boys the other night. Good luck to him. Ball into the mix. That's headed straight from Smith at the goalkeeper. Oh, it's Williams, sorry, excuse me. Williams. 14 minutes to go. Ball into the box there. That's off the line. All headed down from Harry Smith there, headed off the, uh, taken off the line by the goalkeeper. I've got to say, we seem to have passed the ball more in the absence of Steve Morrison. We haven't been so relentlessly long ball. Um, clearly, Harry Smith offers an outlet, an, a long ball outlet, and he's won the ball probably more than, than Steve Morrison. In all honesty, he's a taller boy. Uh, so we, when we have gone long today, um, he's won the ball. We've got a couple of good flick-on headers to, to Lee Gregory. We've passed the ball quite well for me today. I know that the opposition were down to 10 men from the first half early on and that's that's been to our um, advantage but there we are. You can only play who are in front of you and we have done well. We've actually played the ball around well. We're keeping hold of it here quite nicely just taking some of the sting edges as I said that. We give it away but there we are. It's back again. Um, so yeah it's been a good performance by the Lions and we've adjusted well to the, what could be you know, the uh, a big loss in, in Steve Morrison, but with Harry coming into the game, I must admit, we've not really noticed. And who would have expected us to be able to say that? There's a long ball down the left side to, to Fred. Is on rattling, 84 minutes. Fred's coming into the box, walking a little bit, step over, a little disco, it's caught. Oh, that's a penalty, but the referee's not going to give it. That would look like a penalty to me, but uh, the referee didn't give it. Some ironic cheers from the Bristol end for a yellow card for, for Marlon there. Uh, free kick inside the mill half, about halfway inside the half, of yellow card for mill power. I think they're, they're, they're being ironic because they would see themselves hard done by by this referee today. Cummings is coming into the game. Just uh, looking through the tweets here, there's a, a tweet from um, Jay Shaw referring to Harry Smith, very Richard Sadlier-esque. Well impressed, says Jay, and at high praise, high praise indeed by Jay, but I don't think it's overdoing it. I know he's, he's a young boy and this is his first game, but he's not looked out of place. Very, very impressive performance by Aaron Smith. This is Fred going down the left-hand side. Can he, can he retain possession? He cuts it back. Gregory just taken off of him at the last moment by the Bristol defender. Beautiful run by Fred. Falls to Smith. Falls to Smith from the rebound. Goal on his league debut, Harry Smith. Does it get better than that? 88 minutes, Mill 4, Bristol nil. Fantastic story. There's the story for the day, Harry Smith. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Such a fortune about the ball falling to his feet. He's still got to do the work. He's still got to put the ball in the net, but he did so. Brilliant, brilliant storyline. Steve Morris will be in it. Ball bouncing around on the edge of the penalty. It falls from the rebound to Harry. Goalkeeper advances and he slots it neatly past him for four to nil. Great, great stuff. Bristol will just be happy to get out of it. No one here gets out alive as the old uh, the, the Wilterbergs with Jim Morrison and the Doors. I think Bristol don't get out of here alive, but they'll be pleased to get back on that bus and take them back down to the West Country. 
There's a final whistle, 4-0 win for the Lions. Very good result for Millwall, some great performances in that in that result. Harry Smith up front, what a debut, a goal. Um, some fantastic work on the ball, when he won, that, won most of the stuff that was sent forwards to him. Lee Gregory, Ben Thompson, Sean Williams, good team performance overall. Um, Bristol will probably point to the sending off as the turning point of the game they'd be right too uh, but I haven't seen it so um, we'll have to have a look at that I don't know but I'll take it all day long so fantastic result for the Lions on this 100th edition of Actung Millwall rocking all over the world plays behind me well done the Lions I'll be right back after these messages Meine Damen und Herren, das ist Achtung Mühlweil, Nummer 100. Are you tired of having no voice at Millwall? Then why not join the AMS, the Association of Millwall Supporters? The AMS is an independent fan group, meaning they're not directly affiliated with the football club, and therefore they aim to truly represent the fans' best interests. To join the AMS, visit amsgroups.info. That's amsgroups.info. Or if you're on Twitter, go to at a underscore m underscore s underscore group, and they will be happy to answer your inquiries. Welcome to the show to one of our regulars, Omar Ronane. Welcome back to the show, Omar. Thanks for having me on, Nick, as always. Omar's slightly deafened from going to the Cortinas gig last night. Um, <laughs> younger kids will know who the Cortinas are. Cortinas to me, Omar, is an old car, Ford car. So, um, like I said to you off air, I can't, I can't really hold a conversation about the Cortinas for long. But was it a good show, mate? You enjoy yourself? Yeah, it was perfect kind of Saturday. We were winning 4-0 and then obviously going to a nice little gig. So, yeah, good Saturday night. Fantastic. Well, the story, the story of yesterday, there's only one story, really. That's Harry Smith. Um, what a debut, what a league debut. Uh, I know it's not his full debut because he played in the week, didn't he, up at Luton. But um, I'm, I, I've actually, I've written a few notes. I'm trying to think of a better opening, you know, a, a opening to your league account. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that's had more influence and looked so assured. What a story. Yeah. What a story indeed. I mean, obviously it was helped by, uh, obviously, Bristol Rovers going down to 10 men early on. But the players that we was up against yesterday were the likes of Hartley, who's in his 30s. You've got, I think, the other geezer was like Lockie or whatever his yeah. name was. He was also an experienced centre-half. And for someone as young as Harry Smith to come in, obviously his height is a big advantage. But I just felt like he bullied an experienced defence. And for me, what a performance. I mean, the ideal kind of week for him, I'm sure. I don't know what he's probably thinking himself this morning. But fair play to him. He was really super. Yesterday. I mean, I, I can't think of a more assured debut. I mean, I, I go back a long, long way. Been around the track many, many times. I'm trying to think of one. Maybe listeners out there can can um, suggest one, but I can't think of one as I'm speaking to you this Sunday morning, Omer. And uh, I think it's a massive tribute to the kid. I mean, this, this kid's only 19. He was playing for um, Folkestone in Victor. I think I said Maidstone earlier on in my in the live piece. It's Folks, <laughs> Folkestone in Victor. All, all much the same. Those uh, Kentish towns, aren't they? Um, but what a brilliant step up. I mean, where's he been? You know, we didn't miss Steve Morrison. And that, that's that in itself is a fantastic sentence to say, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I was to be honest, I was really worried. I mean, it's, this week there's been minimal news about Morrison since the South End game, and you're thinking, is it a serious injury? Are we going to really miss him? To be honest, I thought Morrison would really miss him yesterday, but for Smith to come in the manner he did, I mean, it's only credit to the kid. He was really, really, really good, and it's crazy to think it's like six foot five, nineteen years old, and he's got a lot to come. So. Almost promising. <laughs> promising is the word. I mean, he, he didn't look out of place. He, I, I mean, clearly he's nineteen. He's not the finished article. He's got a lot to learn of the um, of the game, and he's in the right place for that. With Morrison and, and Harris as his mentors and tutors, I mean, that's that you, you can't really wish for a better education in in his trade. Um, but I just thought he looked he, he looked born to it. He, he didn't look out of place. You're right. He, those those are experienced third division defenders, and he looked. Like he was born to the role, he made them, you know, he put them in trouble, and I just think it's a fantastic tribute to the kid. Brilliant stuff. Red card was probably the turning point of the game, Omar. Um, in real time, and I don't know what your take of it is. Um, in real time, I thought it was a harsh red. Looking at the TV replays on since yesterday, uh, I don't know. I mean, he, certainly O'Brien was through, um, but there was there was two defenders in front of him actually, so it was a harsh red for you. Um, I think so. I think it's it's really it's a weird year, really, because at the start of the season they're saying they've changed the rules, and I think uh, if I was away, if they've changed the last man rule. I thought where if they're through on goal, but they make an honest attempt to get the ball, uh, is it not they get a yellow card? Now it's kind of yeah. it's, they'd have changed it the season going through it, and I'm just thinking it was a bit harsh from my opinion as well. But I wasn't complaining when he was giving these marching orders, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a soft red card for me. Absolutely not complaining. I thought Bristol didn't look a bad side in that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Opening phase of the game. I mean, for me, it was, um, it was probably 60-40 to Bristol up to the, up to the sending off. They, they had a few chances, a few opportunities. A brilliant hook off the line by Ben Thompson, I seem to remember, in the opening 10, I think it was. Um, I, I thought Bristol looked like they had goals in them. Yeah, I think we looked a bit kind of nervy early on. Like the whole thing of obviously missing Morrison was kind of, I don't know if it was playing on the players as well, but like it, it did feel like a nervy opening stage. So the red card came at a perfect time. And I think, yeah, like you say, Thompson 
a crucial intervention because Archer was well being for that corner. I mean, Bristol were rocked by that red card, um, and we, you know, we, we exploited it. And I think I, I, I said in my live thing, I do, I can't remember where. You know, we don't say often that Mill exploit the, the man advantage. It doesn't happen that often, but we did yesterday. We passed the ball wide well and and made them pay for that 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 loss of a man. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. It's like whenever Morrison seems to not play, I know we're focusing on him a lot and we should be really focusing on the players yesterday, but it feels like we've got that bit more confidence to take an extra touch and play it around a little bit more instead of obviously getting the ball and giving it straight to Morrison straight away. And I think we kind of proved yesterday we can play through the wide areas. O'Brien, I mean, he gets, he, you love him or hate him, he's kind of, not a lot of people are not sure about him, but to be fair, in the wide areas, I thought we really dominated the game, especially going against 10 men, you kind of need to stretch the pitch and yeah, it was perfect. Well, we did that very well. I mean, obviously the, the, the opening goal was a big weight off of everyone's um, shoulders because all the time it's nil-nil and 10 men, you know, you start to get a little bit itchy and scratchy, but um, the, the goal was was actually a, a well-worked goal. Um, was it Lee Gregory's shot at the goalkeeper and the rebound, I think, if I'm remembering, it fell to, into, into O'Brien's um, path, didn't it? Yeah, Nicely did. put away. Um Big, you know, big moment in the game. Go a goal ahead, to down, and they're down to ten men. Um, from that point onwards, we really were in control. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the thing is, O'Brien, he, he, he does offer that kind of third attacking player, and he does, as much yeah. as I don't like him on the wing, to be honest, I mean, I'd much rather him kind of float in the middle. But he, he's got seven goals this season, along with Morrison and Gregory in the league. So it doesn't take it does it does take a genius to work out what he kind of offers to us. Even if he is that player that doesn't offer too much defensively, he's the kind of outlet that we need going forward, where he can just seems to pop up with a goal in the right time. Yeah, no, those those numbers tell a story, don't they? I mean, seven goals. He's the equal of um, the other senior strikers at the club, and um, that that alone makes him a must pick, really. I mean, I know many many do moan about Aiden and his alleged laziness, but. Um, you know, the, the goals do the talking for him, really. Absolutely. But yeah, um, so as the half wore on, I thought Bristol came back into it towards the end of the first half. They they, they kind of adjusted to the 10-man syndrome, didn't they? And, and, and I, you know, again, I, I don't like to be churlish, I, uh, Omer, when, uh, when we've got a 4-0 win, but um, our defence still looks a bit rocky at times. Um, you know, we, we, we rode our luck a little bit at times in that first half, I felt. Yeah, I mean, like I said, obviously early on they had a few chances, but I think what they were quite ambitious with Bristol Rovers is they took off a midfielder when they went down to 10 men and kept their two strikers on. So they kind of put our intentions there. I mean, they are a team that is obviously found themselves in the playoffs and they're still there despite losing yesterday. So, But, I mean, I can see the nerviness. It's, it's still there. I mean, there's yeah. a couple of times where your heart's in your mouth, even when we're three or four nil up and there's still a couple of chances towards the end of the game. I don't know. Is that maybe switching off when we're three nil up and a bit of confidence there? Like we've kind of got the game won or is it... There is obviously some sort of nerviness still there but I mean two clean sheets in three games is let's try and <laughs> the spin the positives from it, it was, yeah uh, no 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 I agree clean sheets now so but yeah I do agree, <laughs> I agree. There's still there's still that a bit of nerviness in the defense at the minute I have to agree with that Moaning after a four goal win is un- it's a very it's a very Millwall trait, isn't it? Um, I, the, the, the the Bristol forwards made us look a little bit sluggish and flat footed at times down the middle, but you know in the end you're right, and 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 that's that's the point Neil Harris would make back, wouldn't he? That it's a clean sheet. We've we've come away with a four nil when you can only beat the, the the team that's in front of you. Um, the second goal um, killed it off. Really, that was that was the that was the work by. Um, Balling from the right hand side, if I remember rightly, and, and Gregory did some fantastic work to to hold it up and lay it into to Williams's uh, path for a, for a shot into the into the right corner. Nicely worked goal, and that really did kill it at that point. I felt. 
Yeah, I mean, Williams seems to have a knack of popping up with a goal for the team as well. And I mean, obviously, we're talking about the strikers on seven goals each this season, but Williams himself, I think he's got three this season now. Yeah. So credit to him, obviously. We seem to be kind of showing our midfield dominance as well recently. And I think Williams, for me, has been a key factor in that. Obviously, Thompson's the engine, the one that doesn't stop running and giving away. I mean, getting them in, like basically getting the opposition's face. But for me, Williams is given a little bit of class in the middle. And for me, he's been one of the best players this season so far. Yeah, I was going to say, he's an unsung hero, but I think we mentioned him pretty much on every show. So he's probably not that unsung <laughs> in, in reality. Um, Harry Smith, again, we're going to mention that name again. He got an assist for the third goal, which was... Um, uh, which was for Gregory, wasn't it? That was that was the headed down the crossing, headed down for Gregory to volley home, and uh, that was a nicely dealt with chance as well by Lee Gregg and, and brilliant little assist by by the boy again. Um, fantastic goal! By this time, it was like jam on 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 the on the cake, wasn't it? Really, because I, I thought Bristol were basically out out for the count at two 0 but th- to press on and get the third was, you know, it was good work by Millwall. Yeah, I mean, it was the perfect kind of target man layoff. He just found space in the box, nodded it down to Gregory, and obviously Gregory done the rest, taking it down beautifully and hitting it on the swing. And it's the kind of goal where you kind of think, yeah, it's, just like, it's the combination between the two. It seems to be already there early on. And I think with Harry Smith, it seems like, obviously, when he took his goal towards the end, the whole team was there to celebrate with him. It seems to kind of really fit in seamlessly. So it's only promising signs going forward. In true striker style, Omer, he missed a couple of... Um... Uh, easy chance there's a, there's a header in the first half like a looping header which the goalkeeper palmed off the line and then I think late in the second half again there was a, an opportunity for Smith where I think he had a chance and again that was saved on the line and then the goal when it did come was not through his own skill it was almost pretty much it fell into his feet didn't it <laughs> in, in true comic style you know but he's still got to do the work and put the ball in the net but it was, it was good to see him get that goal um, even though there was a slight sense of um slapstick about it in the end but how it fell to his feet in front of goal but yeah I mean what impressed me the most about Smith like because obviously six foot five you're thinking oh he's just going to be someone that stays up top but he has to come back and do his defensive duties and there was a couple of occasions like you mentioned on the counter attack he was one of the players keeping up with the likes of Fred on the break and it was really impressive to see he's not just like your six foot five striker who's just going to be like in the box or trying to win flick-ons he seems to be a bit of everything and it's like I was quite impressed with him on the break he seems to obviously he's a little bit sluggish to the probably league one he's got time to adjust to it but I mean he was really really impressive just the pace on the break as well so there's a few more hidden traits to him which is obviously really good for us he's good on the deck he's good in the air he's like Bob Peters on steroids isn't he you know he's like (laughs) Bob Peters with talent There we are. Maybe I've cursed his career with that. Just looking at the news at Dan player ratings, Jordan Archer's coming in with a 6.9, Craig 6.6. I mean, again, churlish to pick up central defence. I don't think, I think that the central defence was our weakest point yesterday, but as we've said, clean sheet day, so shan't argue with that. Joe Martin, 6.5. Um, Probably about right, I suppose. Omer, would you say? Didn't it? It wasn't bad. It wasn't great, was he, Joe Martin? Yeah, so. I mean, Joe Martin's normally the kind of your six out of ten, hopefully on most days. And yeah. I think, to be fair, he probably did do a job yesterday. Keeping, I mean, it helps obviously being against ten men, and there's not much coming forward from Bristol Rovers. But yeah, I suppose Joe Martin's at least he didn't get booked yesterday. He's normally a yellow card machine, so that's one positive. <laughs> By Webster, <laughs> that's, that's a good tag. I'm going to use that again. A yellow card machine. Um, <laughs> Byron Webster's got seven out of ten. That's that's. Uh, probably fair Marlon seven and a half. I, I, I like Marlon he made some great runs forward from, from the right side of defence he's a he's a very attractive player when he gets forward in that way isn't he 
Yeah, I mean, he seems to have worked on his defensive side of the game as well recently, and I'm a bit worried. He keeps putting in good performances after good performances recently, and well, normally yeah. it's a telltale sign, if, like, especially with some rumours circulating. It's like you're thinking, how long will we be able to keep on to some of these players? Obviously, he seems like he's committed to the club, and he's definitely a player that we don't want to lose. So Absolutely. Long may it continue, but it's obviously it's a worry in the back of my mind, I have to say. Absolutely, same in, in many respects with Fred, who's, who's an ever improving player. I mean, he's you know he's really built a nice partnership now with with Marlon, um, and Fred is starting to look a dangerous player again, and that that's fantastic. So he's got seven point six on out of ten on the news at Den. I think I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I thought it was a good performance by Fred yesterday. Yeah, um, he seems assured. He's 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 become the outlet we so desperately needed. I think like on the break, he just he's he's always seems to find himself in the right position at the right time, and long may that continue. Absolutely. Good performances in midfield. Ben Thompson, I liked yesterday. He's got eight point two um, on on the news at Den. I think that was a fantastic Ben performance yesterday. In many ways, he was uh, was that word rampaging again yesterday, wasn't he? That that was mm. that was your Ben Thompson classic yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing I wanted to touch on in particular that struck in my mind yesterday was the depth of the squad, and I think it's nice to kind of you can probably change Thompson and say seventy minutes of hard work, and then he comes off and Callum Butcher comes on. So Absolutely, it's 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 definitely. I think Thompson in particular, without him in the team, we seem to be kind of nowhere, not at the races at all, to be honest. So it definitely helps. Obviously, Thompson seems to be just coming strength to strength. And and, I mean, I've not seen him put in a bad performance for a long while now. We're sloshing around in optimism here, aren't we? You and me, mate, aren't we? Eh? It's, it's 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 a strange show when it's optimistic, isn't it? We uh, we, we we get so used to the uh, the bad runs of form here. Uh, Williams seven point seven again. I, I think it was a good performance by Sean. I'll probably go higher than that. I'll go to eight out of ten for me, Sean Williams. Great a great show by him yesterday overall. His contribution. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's he seems to add the kind of more important like he seems to be the one that gets on the ball and pick the right pass at the right time and obviously playing against 10 men he seemed to obviously knew what he had to do and yeah superb yesterday again seems to have sorted his head out a little bit he went off the ball a while but he's got evident skill we can pass the ball we all know about that if he gets his head right as he seems to have at the moment he's a fantastic asset for the side um, and up front Lee Gregory 8.3 I, I think that was a great Lee Gregory performance yesterday Omar that was a real really what we've you know what we've always hoped we'd get with Lee Gregory that strong powerful low centred striker and a fantastic goal to boot great yeah, stuff yeah I mean it was perfect and a goal went open play as well I think he's I think he's probably scored five, six penalties this season. So he seems to obviously, yeah, he, he, he's a slow start, I suppose you could say. I mean, obviously he's on seven goals, but he was the perfect kind of performance we need from Gregory. And obviously we need to see more of the same going forward. And I'm sure we will. He's the kind of player only scores penalties and open play goals now as well. So, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, what else does he do apart from get goals? Same with um, Aiden O'Brien, another player who only gets goals, you know, uh, 7.1. I, I think that's, that's, that's probably a touch a touch low. I'd, I'd, I'd make. I'd, I thought his overall contribution was pretty good yesterday. Aiden O'Brien, when he's on form, he's a he's a brilliant, um, a brilliant player on our side. Absolutely. I mean, he's the kind of he's the link between the midfield and the attack going forward. And as long as he's on the ball, and at least he's putting in the shift that we need from him, and he's definitely a worthy choice in the team. And star man for the day on the news at Dan. Star man for you and me, Omar Harris Smith. 8.5. I, I marked him high now. I gave him a nine out of ten. I, I, I think for a debut for a youngster, I can't think of, um, I can't think of, uh, you know, what what he could have done better. I mean, there's clearly aspects to his game that's got to be polished and improved. But what a day! What a performance! One he won't forget for the rest of his yeah. life. 
absolutely know. and this it's just it, it's you lot i don't know what else we can say to describe him as because it was it was really surprising and i mean tuesday was great and saturday was even better so that's the only way i could sum it up and hopefully there's more to come i think harris said he's got to keep his feet on the ground in, in the week or you know we, we can't expect um too much too soon from him but um and he's right obviously we you know we, we don't want to build him up to knock him down again but um no, someone someone online posted um, that was Richard Sadlier esque in in his um, you, you might I don't know if you remember Sadlier in your time Omar but um, I mean that's high praise that is high praise but I think the thing to remember for listeners is that Sadlier um, had a fantastic season two thousand two three where he really developed into the player that we all remember but he had a couple of years where he didn't look the part and. You know, um, Harry Smith has come in straight in in third division football uh, and looks the part, and that's that's an incredible achievement. That I actually put it higher than Richard Sadier in that sense because Sadier had a long lead in. Yeah, I mean, like so, I just remember Sadier just from my time, only just so. But oh, you make me feel so fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, obviously, no, it was fair play to Harry Smith yesterday and. I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult to kind of judge. Like, you want to keep his feet on the ground, of course. You yeah. do. But I, I, even I was thinking before the game yesterday, oh, we're not going to get what we got for at Luton, but we got even better. So it's 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 hard, it's hard to kind of knock him. You can't say, oh, you know, but like, it was just superb. And it's a fair play to him. He was really, really good yesterday. And a word of praise, just to close between you and me now, mate. A um, word of praise for Neil Harris for the, the boldness to make that choice, make that call, because that's... That's management, isn't it? That's that's being brave. As I was walking along Verney Road to come into the ground, just I was a little bit late, so I was just checking the the team uh, on the phone as I'm walking. And when I saw Harry Smith was starting, I'll be honest, I was excited. And it's that's a that's that's football. That's that's what you that's what we why we follow our club. We want to see youngsters coming through. Bold choices like that excite the crowd. I think it was a fantastically strong call by Neil Harris yesterday. Oh, definitely. I think. I was surprised to see him in the eleven yesterday. I didn't know if he was going to play. I think a lot of people kind of thought maybe Harris might go for the tried and tested. Either yeah, Fred me next too, to Gregory me too. or too, like yeah. Brian next to Gregory. And fair play to Harris. I mean, it could easily have been. We could be sitting here after a defeat and saying, "Why is he playing the kid? Why?" It's it's, it's just football, though, isn't it? So, but fair play to Harris. He's really kind of weathered the storm. We all know how it was a month ago, and it was quite difficult times. But I mean, you could, this is just proof you got to stick by someone who understands our club. Absolutely, and I'll tell you another thing as well. We, yes, we had Smith, and and the long ball option was there with Smith yesterday. But we played the part, the, the pass more, didn't we yesterday? And that to me is a dimension forming in Neil Harris's management um, palette. You know, um, we he's we, been slaughtered for being relentlessly long ball when when you got Morrison as the option, and maybe we'll go back to that when when Morrison's back. But um, fair play, we passed the ball well. Um, he made a brave call with Harry Smith, and it, it worked out well for him. So. Hats off to Neil Harris. I think we're watching him develop too. Absolutely. I mean, it does make you question. Like when Morrison's never in the team, we seem to never lump it outfield. Is it Morrison demanding they give the ball to him straight away because he's the kind of experienced player in the team, or is it Harris instructing the team to do that? It's, it's. I don't know if it's the kind of presence of Morrison we feel we need to give it to him all the time because we kind of think he's going to make it stick. But it, we could, we've shown our kind of dimensions. We can get the ball wide. We've got players in the skillful areas and the wide areas, and players who seem to hit teams and hurt teams. And there you go. It's a perfect performance yesterday. Absolutely. Well, Morrison is a dominant personality, and that's what we need. That's what is what works for us. But the fact that we've got other options now increasing, it's going to be competition for him in in many ways. So he won't be used to that for a little while, will he? You know, I mean, I, I don't think he's needed that competition because I think he's of a maturity that uh, produces his top level anyway. But the fact that Harry Smith is breathing down his neck now 
that can only be good for the club. Yeah, I mean, I think Morrison, three or four years ago, probably been the one to probably give the cold shoulders to Harry Smith. But the Morrison of now, I'm sure he's probably the first to kind of congratulate him because he yeah. seems to be that kind of experienced player in the squad that seems to obviously recognise when players that seem to be struggling or doing well. And he seems the kind of personality that's the lead in the team. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so, perfect. Bigger man, fantastic. Oh, man, that is brilliant, mate. Really appreciate your time today. Um, onwards to Bolton. You're going to Bolton next week? I'm actually not, so... All right, well... Naming and shaming it, I know. Naming is not going to Bolton, ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. First game, the first leg I've missed in a long while, but... Fair yeah, play, so, mate, fair play. No worries, but yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. Always a pleasure and always enjoy doing the show. Fantastic. It's a Sunday morning nightmare, a Sunday morning... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our Sunday morning review of the online comment after yesterday's fantastic 4-0 win over Bristol at the Den. Speaking after the game to the press, Neil Harris said, Bristol Rovers were excellent with 10 men, but for 37 minutes today we played as well as at any time under my stewardship. That's um, that's big. That's actually a big statement. Um, we certainly played um, a different style, that's for sure. We played it well, that's that's also fair. Neil says that uh, we could have been four or five up at half-time, but we had to defend well because they're a good side with some good players. I'll make him right on that front. At times we dug in, he says, and we had to be patient. We made good decisions out of possession and took advantages, took advantage, rather, when the chances came our way. Harry Smith, he says, had an excellent debut, debut, whilst Lee Gregory led the line really well in Steve Morrison's absence. Posting on Twitter, Harry Smith must be in dreamland. The boy, Harry Smith underscore 10, says the last week has been a blur. And so it must be, Harry. It's been fantastic to score and win again tonight is all I could hope for, he says. Jay on the uh, on Twitter says, Oi, Harry Smith, 3-2, behave yourself. He's the new Neil Harris, non-league to superstar. I certainly hope so, says Jay. Marquis de Sard writing on the on the House of Fun. Thought we were a little bit like England on Friday night versus Scotland. We were error-prone, wasteful, but ultimately better than the opposition and nice to keep a clean sheet. I think that's our first clean sheet of the season, have I read? Mark Andrew MFC says, don't get me wrong, I couldn't care less, but having seen it again, that was never a red card, yellow all day long. I thought in the moment it was a yellow, Andrew, but who gives a shit fundamentally, mate? Um, backing that up on, on, on the House of Fun. Mickey Two Horses, also thought the sending off was a bit harsh, but fuck it, says Mickey. Agree with that, Mick. Red Lion says, yeah, it was. He, was, he wasn't the last man, so therefore it was harsh, according to the Red Lion. Um, half-time Hurleymans. Throw back to the old beer, the old Coblo Lane. The half-time Hurleymans. Uh, speaking about Morrison, says, we lose our most influential player. We score four, concede none, and one point now off the playoff places. Well done, Millwall. Well done, Neil. And Skylark, referring to Harry Smith, says he's raw. But he worked his nuts off, set up the one for goal today and scored. Then a little note of caution, because it is Millwall after all. But let's not get too worked up, though. No, fuck it, Skylark. Let's get worked up, mate. We've got an exciting striker that's come out of nowhere. Bold choice by Neil Harris to choose him, play him yesterday. And the boy rose to the occasion. He, he, he's got height, he's got power, and he certainly has skill. So let's get a bit excited, because I, I think he is, if we can retain him, he's the future. Posting on the House of Fun, the Sky God says just before the Williams shot for the second goal, he thought the ref was going to blow for a penalty, but he played the advantage. I thought the ref got most things right, including the sending off, says Sky God. The Sunday morning bongo on, on, on the House of Fun bongo. 
good friend of this show. Obviously, the result was good and the team performance. We played some good football, says Bongo. Passing the ball across the width of the pitch, I agree. Whilst Rovers were a man down, they weren't a bad side. They pressed us until they became tired. Great debut at home for Smith. Also known as Smither, apparently, if you, according to a radio interview he's done. Um, and I agree with most who said Craig had a good game, as did Romeo Thompson. Aiden and Gregory. The bad, the referee got the sending off wrong, says Bongo. It was a booking at best. The ugly uh, for Bongo was the spell where we did not clear our lines. The one time you want it to be hoofed, you don't get it, says Bongo. And finally, Golden Balls found, has found a talk sport. This is not a reliable source, Golden Balls, is it? A talk sport clickbait list of uh, the most hated clubs in the world, um, including um, I don't know, Zenit St. Petersburg, Milton Keynes, Dons. Um, Liverpool, Chelsea, Barcelona, and, and we were in fifth, uh, second most hated club in London, fourth most hated club in the UK, fifth most hated club in the world. Um, I think we're losing, as, as one or two others have posted, I think we're losing our reputation a little bit. I think we're the modern generation are not doing enough to keep our reputation as the number one most hated club in the world. Kids, get on it. Achtung, Mailball. Anyway, that's enough for this this week's show. I'm going to close out. Now, this is show number 100, as I'm sure you appreciate by now. And the week was also remarkable for a couple of things. On the one hand, there was some kind of election going on in, in the United States, I believe. But also, more importantly, Mill's progress into the quarterfinal southern section of the Checker Trade Trophy. I thought we could mark our 100th show with a little piece I've done with Crazy Horse, one of my favourite voices, on the, the obscurities of, uh, and, and, odd, and oddball cup competitions that Lions have been involved in over the years. So I hope you enjoy this little play-out piece. Um, just want to say a big, a big shout-out to the Mill Down Under crowd. Uh, I know you're listening each week, boys, and, you, and your, your support is always appreciated. So anyway, over to Crazy Horse and myself speaking about the, the oddities of Mill's Cup competition history. Thanks for listening to the show, dear listeners, and I'll speak to you all again next week. Au revoir. Big welcome back onto the show to Neil Andrews. Crazy Hawks, welcome back, Neil. Cheers. You're lucky I'm here, you know. Well, <laughs> if, if England has scored again, I want to yeah, show my face for at least another week. I actually wasn't going to mention it, but now, now you've raised yeah, it. Go on, go on. No, Feel I, free to take the piss. I, I, I think England are the Millwall of international football. I mean, I, um, you weren't there today, I know, uh, the den, but it reminded me of England. We, you know, going forwards, we looked apart, but in defence, um, very, very, um, very fragile, very beatable. A decent side was taking England apart, which, yeah. which wasn't Scotland. No, no. <laughs> there we are. Anyway, we'll, we'll move swiftly on, mate. Um, uh, so this is anyone sh- can take Scotland. Apart. <laughs> <laughs> this is show number one hundred, and I thought it would make a nice little feature for you and me to explore some of the um, the obscurities of Millwall's um, cup history. Yeah, which is quite ironic because the next FIFA ranking, Scotland will be ranked one hundred in the world. Will they? Is, are they really? No, that- they will now. <laughs> are they that low? They're surely not, are they? Uh, no, we're in the fifties or sixties at the moment. Bloody hell! How, how, yeah. how the might is falling? How the, how the crap has got worse? Yeah, over over time. But no, uh, in the week that the Checker trade glories comes to the, to the Lions with, with that win up at Luton, and we go through into the quarter-finals of a very controversial competition, the Checker Trade 
trophy, which is the successor to the well, the Johnston's paint. Um, and its its formal name is is the Football League Trophy or the EFL yeah, Trophy, I suppose yeah, you call yeah. it now. Of which we're past winners, of course, aren't we? No, we're not. Are we not? It I was thought... a different trophy. No. Um, really? The, got... This version of the Football League Trophy came into being the following season. The season we won it, it I... was um, it was a Football League Trophy. I can't remember the exact name, but it was open to all divisions, and there was a few first division teams that entered, including Southampton and a few others, which is long forgotten. Right. So it was actually open to all divisions. So we actually won a national-wide trophy. So we're talking about the 1982-83 season. For yeah, the... yeah, it was open to all divisions. Wow. Um, well, you, you've, you've not me stopped me in my tracks there, Neil. Not for the first time, mate. On the on the chess ball, whenever I played Neil at chess, he stopped me in my tracks and he stopped me in my tracks in my little piece there. But that was Lincoln City, of course, 1982-83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, three two, wasn't it? Three two at well? Lincoln's yeah. ground. Three thousand one hundred forty-two. Yeah. Two goals from Dean Neal, um, who, who sadly passed away, of course, in the I think the eighties, and um, a rare goal from Adam McCleary. That that is a rarity in itself, wasn't it? No, it's Dean Horrocks that passed away. Oh, Horrocks, sorry, not Dean Neal. Yeah, D- Dean Horrocks. Yeah, he had the car crash, didn't he? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll um, delete, delete that that error. That's two errors. Two errors in in the sentence there. What were the? Um, that, that's the first one. That was <laughs> uh, I went into it. yeah, but um, yeah, with the. Uh, Football League trophy. Um, I remember because it was um, it was open to all kind of. Um, it was like a nationwide trophy, but I think only ten first division sides entered, and right. there was a few more in um, what was then the second division. So it wasn't just you know division three, division four back then. So you know it's even more of a triumph than people realise. I think. Yeah, unsponsored back in those long naive yeah. gone days, and then that. Well, the following season, then the uh, it became the Associate Members Cup, which always sounds very pompous to me. There's the full Members mm. Cup, wasn't there? Which um, we took part in as I think it was the Simod Cup in in the uh, mid eighties. Yeah, Simod Cup. Yeah, that was. Um, they introduced all these cups, and you know, it became the Zenith Data Systems Trophy or something, didn't it? Um, that to basically give clubs money from the lack of European competition. Absolutely. So they, they, yeah. they were designed to replace, you know, the European Cup, the UEFA Cup. And they ran for a couple more seasons, maybe one or two after we were allowed back in and obviously died to death. But, you know, they would never replace, you know, the Watney Cup and the Texaco Cup back in the early 70s. Oh, fantastic. We never took part in the Watney Cup. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember us being in that. We didn't qualify. It was the highest scorers or the highest, I think it was the highest goal scorers or the highest point totals. Right, OK. Four. It was the top two from each one went through. And so you had great finals, you know, with whole City and Man United, whatever. But it was always... Um, First ever penalty shootout was in the Watney Cup. Yeah, they trialled it. It was a pre-season competition, yeah. wasn't it? It was always played in the yeah. uh, the brilliant sunshine of August. And um, again, the first in my life, so the first time I remember a sponsored competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, first time that yeah, was, was trialled as well. It was, it was quite innovative in its way. Mm. As Half Man Half Biscuit once sung, will they ever bring back the Watney Cup? Well, yeah, <laughs> they should do, but you know. <laughs> So obscure cup competitions, whether, whether we can call the the associate members cup obscure or not, I don't know. But that, of course, was for the, the old third and fourth division. The idea mm. being that they were not full members of the football league, but associate members in those those lowly divisions, and um, that became the Freight Rover Trophy in due course. It's, it's wonderful names from when we had an industrial base in the country, Neil. Yeah, car yeah. manufacturing. Um, <laughs> it was always like Carlisle United versus Birmingham City in the final. Yeah. 
Something like that. Yeah. Glamour ties. ties. A competition I do remember from my youth, and I've had to check into um, Richard Lindsay's book to uh, to confirm it existed, was the Kent Cup, um, which was was a pre-season competition. Um, It actually was the the Kent FA's... um, like their version of, a, of their, their cup competition, their, their own little FA Cup in a sense. Yeah, they were very big though in these. Like, Absolutely. You know, you're talking pre-war, post-war, you know, these were big competitions. I mean, the Glasgow Cup up in Scotland. Yeah. You know, similar sort of thing was, you know, heavily contested. And, you know, you used to get loads of different anecdotes come out from, you know, these competitions. You know, I think it's the only time in the Glasgow Cup was when um, a goalkeeper, you know, transferred between Glasgow Rangers to Glasgow Celtic. Um and it was done on a gentleman's agreement because that they lost their goalkeeper because he got his hand caught on a nail in the goalpost. So they gave him a goalkeeper for the final. It's one, you know, one of these weird, wonderful stories. But yeah, you used to always have these competitions, and they, you know they were they sound really in today's world, you know, insignificant. But you know they were hard fought competitions, pre season competitions that you know. Absolutely, I mean, you'd see them listed on people's honour boards, things like that. Yeah, I mean, we 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 used to when they used to have, I don't know if they still do and bought a program for ages, but they, they used to list the likes of the East End Cup in the old Mill programs, didn't they? Which is going back to the eighteen eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, and so on. But um, I think this. Again, going going way back into the the kind of Victorian origins of the game. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things you until you do a little bit of research, you don't realise that the in the the earliest days. Uh, it's basically friendlies prior to the formation of leagues. It was friendlies and cup competitions largely, wasn't it? County cup competitions. Yeah, well, it's like the um, Southern League as well. I mean, the Southern League rivals the Football League in terms of, you know, um, its general appearance within, you know, the country, as it were. You know, it was a rival league. You know, it wasn't just the non-league football. Yeah. You know, Millwall did really well in that competition. But, you know, now it's kind of overshadowed. Um, rightly or wrongly, but you know it, it's kind of you know they were kind of peers. They were equivalent leagues and equivalent standards. But that's kind of gone you know by the by as well. You know it's all about the Premier League these days to the, the extent mm-hmm. that Liverpool's glory days, uh, you know, barely register. You know to a kid these days because no, they've never know won it, the Premier League. No, know? that's right. I'm looking at a wonderful competition here in Richard's book, the London FA Challenge Cup. And in particular, you might like this this obscurity here, Neil. Um, I'm looking at um, 1928 to 29, round one of the London FA Cup, Millwall versus Thames Association, the home game, 3-2 win. Thames Association were a brief football club that existed at uh, what was a a dog track in in East London. It was a, it was a constructed football club for the the um, I think it was called Custom House Stadium in East London. Mm. Um, that's what I said. That's how Chelsea came about, wasn't it? Same thing, yeah. Stamford Bridge yeah, was a stadium, yeah. and they needed a football club to, to mm. play there. But the, the Thames Association Club played at Custom House, which is now, um, it's near the Excel Centre, I think. It's, it's mm. long, long gone, long demolished. It was a speedway and dog track. Um, and we played Thames Association. I think they were, the Thames Association, had the, 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 was it the smallest, um, or was that Stockport, I'm thinking, of the smallest um, uh, attendance in football? Oh, that was Stockport with their thirteen, but reasons for that. Yeah, and the the game was moved to Old Trafford because uh, the ground bomb damage or something after the war, and only yeah. thirteen people turned up. But I think the Thames Association struggle with crowds at their that their huge stadium is yeah. quite a large one apparently. Um, but yeah, um, London Challenge Cup, Kent FA Challenge Cup. This became a this was quite a well established cup competition in its own right in the nineteen forties. Some big crowds actually. Um, Eleven thousand versus Charlton in um, nineteen forty nine fifty. 
Um, yeah, but it shows you how big, you know, there was this appetite for, you know, post-war football. Um, so, you know, you start these competitions and you know, they were kind of, you know, they were big deals, but a lot of it has just got lost in the modern world. You know, you look at the FA Cup, but, you know, you, you imagine, you know, the FA Cup, you know, yeah. how many turned up at Millwall the other week? Yeah, that would never happened years ago. No, you know, it was a big thing, some, you know. Yeah. You know, the way it's been treated, you know, the way it's just, again, fallen by the wayside, you know. Even the League Cup produced its own shocks. It was, you know, it was always the third trophy, but, you know, people used to go hammer and tongs to win these trophies years ago. You know, look, it kept managers in a job. Yeah. These days it doesn't, you know. I suppose what we've lost, and I'm just looking at a game here that illustrates a point in a sense. This is 1938 to 39, so the year before war break, broke out, August the 20th, 1938, one year before. Um, a match between Mill and Cholton, the Football League Jubilee Fund. I presume that to be some kind of charitable, um, you know, match um, of some sort, Jubilee Fund. 27,000 fans at the Den to play Cholton in a pre season um, charity game. It's. The escapism that people must have needed back then. I mean, there's no other form of um, entertainment apart from the pub and cinema, was there? Yeah, or the well, nothing on telly because no one had one. <laughs> <laughs> there probably was something on telly, you know. Twenty-seven thousand, uh, incredible. Um, some wonderful competitions listed in Richard's book: the Lincoln Hospital uh, Charitable Cup, nineteen twenty to twenty-one. We played Lincoln City in a benefit for the Lincoln Hospital uh, Cup competition. May the second must have been a post-match. Mm. End of season turnout there. Yeah, uh, there's clearly terrible ones. But, you know, do you remember the mercantile credit one oh, that gosh. we didn't actually take part yeah, in? Yeah, well, but that, we could have done. Was that the but, um, the Football League celebration? There was, there was it a... was the century, you know, um, in 1988. And it was, I think we missed out because we drew, or someone got a late winner, which knocked us out. Yeah. And all the top teams played in Wembley, you know, so I, I think it was 60 minute games and. Uh, no one turned up, you know, they were giving away the tickets on the second day kind of thing. I, I, um, my brother-in-law at the time, we worked for Barclays Bank, and I think they sponsored that, and I actually went to Wembley for that odd odd day. Mm. And I know we, we just missed out on it, but the mayhem that would have taken place then, it was probably just as well we did miss out, because uh, I think there was Leeds there, there was Wolves, and all in the same stadium, I hasten to add. There's... Um, Oh gosh! I think Crystal Palace were there. There was, there was, there, I, you could just see it turning into, um, you know, a, a, a kind of eighty-five style riot all mm. over again. So it's probably just as well uh, that, that late goal. <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Could you imagine the Palace Ultras, with, you know, Leeds and the Wolves? <laughs> how they would have stood firm, those Palace Ultras? Yeah. I could, I could see Wolves and Leeds standing firm, or for, yeah. for, for as long as it took, anyway. Oh dear, yeah, the Dubonnet Cup. There's it is one. This is 1911. Um, that du- rings a bell for some reason. Dubonnet Cup. Dubonnet yeah. being um, for younger listeners or mm. maybe uh, teetotal listeners is a vermouth, I think, isn't it? It's like yeah. a, mar- a martini Cinzano. Um, we played Clapton Orient as they were then in the Parc des Princes in Paris. Yes, that—that's why it's ringing a bell. Yeah. How about that? Mil, yeah. Mil, 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 oh, I was reading about that the other day. Yeah, it's like, um, teams used to go to Paris to play this cup competition. <laughs> Which mad? The Bonnet Cup. So yeah, it must have been an exhibition game. Um, mm. Six thousand in the Parc des Princes, which is a biggish stadium. I guess it was. No, there. I think it was a tournament. It was a knockout tournament. I think was Brentford it? were there as well. Okay. Well, we got beat by by Clapton mm. Orient as they were then three nil. Um, no, we never did travel well. We Europe, didn't travel. Did we? <laughs> 1911. Um, so yeah, some really odd. You know, it's just fascinating. I, I, I love this kind of um, obscure detail of 
The yeah. Queen of the South went on a, a similar sort. Of, they went to a competition in Algeria, of all places. Algeria. And they won it. They they beat kind of. I think it was Sport with Lisbon and someone else, like really good teams, and they went and won it. You know. Did they make a drama uh, out of um, West Auckland who were mistaken for Woolwich Arsenal? Yeah, West Auckland, yeah. The Captain's South, the Lipton's Cup. That's right. And that yeah. was the, the, an early precursor to the, to the World Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually doing something on that for when Saturday comes, coming up. They, um, do you remember Dennis Waltman? They yeah, did a drama called they The did. Captain's Tower about it. Yeah. Very well done it was too. Uh, yeah. And I think they played Juventus in in Italy and it was a tale of these... Um, Miners, weren't they from from West Auckland? Up, yeah, up north? miners. Um, yeah, well, it just shows you the strength of English football. Then you know you had these different leagues, but you know it, just because you had the football league, it wasn't like you know no. football league versus like these non-league. It's these non-leaguers, you know, who worked their minds were just as good as you know your Arsenal's and you know your Preston North End, or maybe not your Preston North Ends, but you know that kind of thing. Yeah, and there was the old joke in cricket that if you needed a fast bowler, he shouted down the shaft at local mine. And mm. I suppose West Auckland was a, a mining community team, and they were mistaken. Apparently, I don't know if that's you know the poetic or artistic license for Woolwich Arsenal, who were a major force in, in football at that time. And they went to Italy to play in mm. the early precursor. I think they won it, didn't they? Yeah, they won it. Yeah, they won yeah. it. How about that? Um, the Southern Floodlight Cup. They used to get these odd. Midweek competitions, didn't you? Back in that was a reserve competition, if I remember rightly. I think it um, was. It was either the reserves or it was like the equivalent of the under twenty ones, uh, the Southern Fadlick Cup. And that was running in the nineteen fifties, nineteen fifty. Yeah, that ran all the way seventies and eighties as well. You'd see the results in the program. Yeah, they give you the um, the combination. It was like when it was sponsored by a newspaper group. It was the Overton Combination, which we won a few times, and then you had the Southern Fadlick Cup, which I think was the youth team. Was it the reserve conference called the Midweek League or something like that, I think, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. Uh, something yeah, of that kind. Too. I think the Southern Floodlight Cup was the youth team. Yeah, I'm sure someone will write in and tell us which one it was. But, I'm you know. sure they will, some pernickety, yeah, 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 pernickety yeah. types. That, we that... took part in both anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there we are. So some wonderful, some wonderful, day. Luton Charity Cup, London Charity Cup, the Southern Professional Charity Cup. You don't seem to get that kind of, um, I don't know if it's... Um, uh, outreach. Uh, I suppose football clubs do their work, and, and the club do very well on that front. But you don't seem to get charitable games in that way anymore. Not anymore. No. Um, Maybe a sign of poverty at the time. I don't know. Yeah. No. But then used, used to be major fundraisers, didn't it? You know. Yeah. Used, again, used to come up. You know. The you know Oxford United reserves against the Dennis Waterman Showbiz Eleven kind of thing. Yeah, featuring yeah. Des O'Connor or something. <laughs> yeah, they used to raise money. You know, you don't get anything like that these no. days. You know, football was. Um, very much part of the community, you know, going on to, you know, the regeneration and all that, uh, that kind of palaver. You know, people forget just how tired it in was, you know, if hospitals needed a new wing, people would play football games to raise money for it, you know. Different era is a wonderful one. Mm. I'm just looking at the middle, mm. Middlesex Senior Cup. We're talking about 1888-89 it began. And the 1893-94 season, Millwall drew a, a team club called Minerva, the game was never played because Millwall withdrew because they turned professional in December 1893. Mm. So they withdrew. That must have been an amateur competition, the Middlesex Senior Cup. Yeah, um, Minerva was as well. Wonderful times. quite well known at the time. And the year before we played the second battalion, the Scots Guards, in the same competition. I'll bet uh, the Scots Guard lost, didn't they? Heavily. 3-0. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. No, they beat us. No, actually, no, I'm telling a lie. It's the other way around. We, we, we got mm. beat 3-0 by the Scots Guards. Yeah. 
But there we are. We we these are wonderful competitions, long gone. Um, you ain't even talked about the evening standard five a size. Well, I was just about to come on to that because, funnily enough, <laughs> I, my, I've got my iPad on on that very page on the Mill History website, and I'm looking at um, the 1983 Victoria Mill side. It was Roger Winter. Yeah. Roger Winter, spelt with a Y. Whatever yeah. became of yeah. Roger Winter. Um, he went to America because they had the indoor soccer league then. Right. And and then he went to HMS or HMP Pentonville, I think. Or oh, right. like that. Played his football uh, um, in a different kind of inside environment. Yeah, no, it was because after the North American Soccer League closed down, it all went indoors, didn't it? It so did, yeah. He went out there and major um, league soccer. Trade, yeah. yeah, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, we won it in 1983. Mm. Roger Winter, and I think in '77 and '78 as well. So we did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were in the final, the last ever one. We lost to Wickham Wanderers in, I think it was t- 1993. I think the last ever Evening Standard competition was. I think it was, We, yeah. we definitely got through to the final. Wickham were defending and they won it. Um, I'm just looking at a wonderful photo on, on the uh, history website. They've got the previous winners. They've got uh, the 78 team here. Uh, John Seisman, Neil. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony Hazel, I mean, fantastic, rugged yeah. defender. Seisman was a, was always a, a wonderful player to watch. I, it was in my kind of um, formative years of going to Millwall, and John Seisman yeah. was a very, yeah. very skillful yeah. striker, yeah. very skillful striker. Mm. Chris Dibble, I vaguely remember him playing, but I can't. He had that kind of ginger half row, didn't he? He did. He, he, yeah. he was in the um, site 7980. Youth team, I think, uh, you know, it was part of that kind of It was of similar to Dave Mehmet in that, because Mehmet had a, had a kind of a gingerish... Um, Mehmet, perm, ginger. Ginger. Perm, yeah, didn't he? Nicky Johns, goalkeeper. Good goalkeeper, Nicky Johns. He was, yeah. Yeah, he went to North America as well. He played his trade over there. Yeah, he went via, I think he got to Charlton for a while, and then he moved on to... No, he the came US. back and went to Charlton, and then he went back over. Did he? Great yeah. goalkeeper, because we, we had a good crop of goalkeepers. I mean, from Brian King was the first one that mm. I saw. Then we had um, Goddard, Ray Goddard. You mean Ray Goddard, yeah, who sadly um, died a couple of years ago. Yeah, and then Nicky Johns, who was... Um, in my youth, I always used to think as the least of the Mills goalkeepers, but actually was a very, very good goalkeeper as I look back now. Well, uh, he was followed by Pat Cuff. You know, Pat Cuff. You it, tell, you know. That was that was a, a crushing moment in my life when Pat Cuff yeah. arrived. It was funny. Someone was telling me that we almost signed Alan Ruff. Did we? Um, the, it was Neil Fizzler who was telling me. He came across some documents or articles in Scotland, and apparently we were after Alan Ruff when we signed Pat Cuff. The anti-hero uh, no, of... No, um, no, Alan Ruff. <laughs> Uh, it was it was in the five one, wasn't it? It was it was kind of like Trump or Clinton. I think, you know. <laughs> it was one of those, you know. Who are we going to sign? It's and, where you go for the libertarian candidate and go for someone uh, else. Um, and we still got it wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. Alan Ruff, of course, famous was in goal for Scotland when England beat them five one. Um, what a big, no, big... he wasn't. Was he not? He either? wasn't. No, that was Kennedy in goal for him then. Kennedy, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, 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 Ruff was. Ruff no, wasn't. Ruff was the only goalkeeper in nineteen seventy eight not to wear gloves. <laughs> Dave Donaldson also in that 78 team good, good defender Dave Donaldson did you remember seeing him new in your time I do yeah yeah, yeah. Um, good defender um, he was he was a right back wasn't he right back came from Arsenal yeah. and I think he moved on to Colchester in the end yeah, after, he, after, um, after I remember him quite well actually he was he played in that famous booker kit we had with the you know yeah. one of my favourites with you know the symbols running down the sleeve. Well, in fact, that that is the very kit that I'm looking at. The, the seventy-eight yeah. five-a-side team. It was, it was um, beautiful collar and V-neck kind of insert with the the, the butter um, like an Adidas stripe down the sleeve. Yeah, sleeves. I was going quite a lot there with my granddad. It was like very first time I went. You know, basically every own game those kind of seasons. So yeah. you know. Fantastic. Very stuff. striking memories of all the players around there. 
And then I'm looking at that includes Pat Cuff. Now I'm looking as we're on the subject of Cuff. I'm looking at 1979 winning side, which has got Phil Walker, fantastic midfielder, Brian Chambers, um, Dave Donaldson again, Chatter, Nicky Chatterton. um, Oh, Nicky Chatterton, and he's um. He's had how many hip operations now? Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's done himself in, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, he was a decent midfielder, but came from Palace, so, you know. I'm just... Uh, no, the right. Just looking at a name here, he must be the editor of the Evening Stand. I, thought, I don't remember a player called Jocelyn Stevens. I think he must be the editor of the Evening Standard. And then a said Pat Cuff with his with his moustachioed um, visage. He was, yeah. <sighs> what an awful goalkeeper he was. He was... Um, he had the ability to create goals out of nothing. Let's put it that way. Um, he, could, he could. Do you know, he actually kept a few clean sheets. It's surprising <laughs> how many clean sheets he kept. But considering how bad he was. But, you know, every dog has his day, doesn't yeah, it? Too true. Actually, there's an old no ITV4 show, you know, the big match revisited. Yep, yep. One of the few that's Millwall is Millwall versus Sheffield United away the season we went down. Pat Cuffs and go and he keeps a clean sheet. Does he? Of all the games you could have with Millwall playing, it's Pat Cuff keeping a clean sheet. I think he was an experienced goalkeeper. I mean, he's obviously passed into legend now, and there was there, there was no um, YouTube coverage back then, so you can't, you know, it all exists in the kind of haze of memory. But I just remember him being awful. But I, I, that might be overdoing it now. It's a long, long time ago. Um, but then we went on to win it in 1983. Fantastic looking side there as well with. Roger Winter, obviously, with the, the Evening Standard Company's hands. Mm. Sheringham. Yeah, after we won the, um, the game against Lincoln as well. Yeah, Teddy Sheringham alongside him. Mm. Uh, Adam McLean. What happened to him? Oh, no, he, he went nowhere, mate. He went nowhere, did he? No. Um, Paul Sansom, there's a goalkeeper I'd forgotten. Yeah, he, he was one of the few that had a full beard, didn't he? Yeah, he I... I goalkeeper, which you rarely saw. No, that's right. It was in an area where the beards weren't really um, as common as they are nowadays. Um, but, um, no, it's Andy Massey. There's another name as well. Mm. Uh, skipper of the side. You've got quite a good record in that five-a-side competition. We should revive it, shouldn't we? Yeah, no, we did. They, it got replaced, didn't it? They, they started doing the six-a-side, and then they went yeah. to the Masters tournaments that they were doing. But they used to have um, six-a-side. There was a sort of regional tournament. Um, I think we only ever played in it once, and then it turned into a Masters kind of competition. Now, the biggest attendance... Ever that in, in what you might call a non-conventional uh, competition was of course the auto windscreen final 1988 at the old Wembley of which I'd say about fifty thousand were Millwall fans that day now. And Ian Wright. And Ian Wright. And um, about 5,000 Wigan fans. We lost that one, obviously, in the uh, last moments of the game. Um, which I've never actually looked at footage of that game ever since. I believe it's it's out there and on, on, on the net, but I've never looked at it. I, I found it quite painful, actually. I, I, I didn't enjoy that day. I looked at it once. I didn't watch the entire game. I remember watching the last well, lead-up to the goal. Just to win an argument on Hoff or Mesa when that one of the That's not like you. That's not like you. Not like me at all. No. an argument at all, is it? No. Um, but I remember watching that and, you know, the build out was just shocking, shockingly bad. A big crowd in the of the earlier rounds. We played Gillingham, I and mean, I'm just contrasting the the current checker trade, which I know is boycotted by fans groups. But we played. Yeah, I um, went to every game for that season. So did you of the OWS? Yeah, we had. I remember in uh, we played Cardiff in the first round. Yeah, and um, I think there was only two thousand in the stadium. We were all crammed into the West End. They had the normal way end. You know, right. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was quite a lot of you know the stupid banter that goes between 
sets of fans who realise they really should be somewhere else enjoying life, not watching this awful rubbish. Um, yeah, we won that, and you know, it's just it slowly built momentum because I remember it's like um, I was working at QVC at the time. A mate of mine asked QVC. Fan, you know, he, he was laughing his tits off basically because I said I wasn't going to the pub. If I'm going to the away windscreen shield first round. <laughs> you know how to live. You know how to live. He just turned to me and he went, if you get to the final, I'm coming with you. And I took it. Lo and behold. Um, and Eve was following it with interest. Like, it became a running joke. And yeah, we got Gillingham in the area final, didn't we? That's right. 11,000. 11,000. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, it's called the Golden Goal. That's and, right. Um, golden Goals. I, yeah, I always it? remember when Taylor the Golden time. Goal. Everyone around me kept saying, well, we won't win the next round because the fucking FA don't want us at Wembley, will they? Yeah. We won't get there, you know. It was Walsall, wasn't it? Was it, it, it two, was. Um, was it a two-legged semi-final? I think we yeah, yeah, clinched up there at Walsall. Yeah, I, I got to Walsall very early. I think um, I misjudged the time it would take to get to Walsall. <laughs> and I, I arrived for the 7.45 kick-off, but promptly at 1.30 in the afternoon. A bloody old, yeah, the so whole day in Walsall. I the pub yeah, that was like five minutes from the ground. And, uh, <laughs> I was in the best states when I got no. to the ground, I must admit. But, you know. I remember TLR brought out an edition after we we got past Walsall to make mm. it to Wembley, and uh, I've always remembered this this front page. You had the the, the hot chocolate song, I believe in miracles, with a yeah. like a conga. I think a conga took place at the ground after. In yeah, the they after... played it. Um, they the, they had you know the um, PA announcer there had a sense of humour and played that um, afterward. One when the conga broke out, etc. You know that was a funny night. I mean, yeah. I mean, younger listeners may not realise the sheer impact that Millwall getting to Wembley would have had on on people of our generation and older. I mean, apart from the War Cup final, which um, uh, even I'm not that old. Um, you know, it just was an un- unthinkable um, event, wasn't it? You know, Millwall just didn't make it to Wembley, and the, and suddenly there we were at the the Twin Towers. It was it was yeah, absolutely incredible yeah. as it, when you look back. It's become a little bit of a, a so what thing in recent years, uh, as so much with Wembley has. Yeah, 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 very blunt. I mean, we spoke about it in the playoff final, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, about, you know, how it's changed. And, you know, I went to, saw Iceland beat Austria in the Euros um, during the summer. And, you know, the start of France is just such a nice stadium compared to Wembley. Yeah. yeah. I, we, we, I can't believe the FA managed to fuck up that stadium again, you know, and spent. No. Time, you know, just, just so devoid of which it has no character really, yeah it has no character it was much better it's much nicer you know i went to a few games there and there's like proper football games you know there was something about walking up to the twin towers now it's like you know you could be at the emirates or you know you could be somewhere else it hasn't got the same special feel about it anymore no i suppose it's the same thing over and over with modern football the, the, the old wembley had a had a sense of event about it there, this was something you're going to a place that had a slight magic to it. I don't really think you get that at the modern Wembley. It's, it's just another larger, slightly different version of the Emirates Stadium and all the other stadiums you get around now. Um, but that 1980, uh, 1998-99 game was was a momentous occasion in many of our lives because that, that was a bit like going to um, you know, the, the semi-final of the FA Cup in uh, a few years later. It was just unthinkable. Um, let's close out with a, an oddity. I'd, I'd actually forgotten that we took part in the Anglo-Italian Cup, um, 1992, 93, 93, 94, two seasons yeah. of it. And it was an ill-fated little competition. I remember it was in the early 70s. Uh, we never took part in it in the early 70s. Um, and it had a very poor reputation for, for um, discipline and fighting in the stands and 
there was the Anglo-Scottish Cup as well, wasn't there? There was yeah. the Anglo-Scottish. We yeah. weren't in that either, I don't think. I think yeah. there's an FA conspiracy to keep us away from these kinds of things. But uh, I we don't did, know why. I don't know why, no. I can imagine, again, Mill versus Celtic yeah. would have gone down a storm, wouldn't it? Um, Anglo-Italian Cup was... Um, it, it was revived. It was a nice idea that just yeah, just never took hold, did it? The imagination, no, because I think it's like you had the group round. We never got out of the group, so we played Crystal Palace and Cheltenham. Yeah, um, it, I remember Bruce Murray. Bruce Murray, yeah, Bruce Murray. There's, had, there's um, a name. He had a storm in one of them or something, or got sent off. And Carl Emerson, only Millwall. Carl Emerson. He, he got sent off. Yeah, he got sent off. Um, wonderful yeah. names, wonderful names. So it lasted for yeah. two seasons. I think it died on its feet slightly. I think that be, there was a couple of all-Italian finals in an Anglo-Italian Cup, which didn't really work the way they yeah, wanted I it to. Yeah, I think Notts County reached the final against Skilly or something yeah. like that. And they both wanted to wear black and white stripes, and I just went downhill from there. And, Never took off after uh, that. No, it's a shame. You know, it's, a, it's a nice idea. You know, these competitions, you know, they're, they're nice ideas. You know, if you go back to you know the roots of the game, that's what people like to see, you know, knockout football teams winning stuff and now it's like it's, it seems to be an inconvenience to the big clubs it's getting in the way of the Champions League which uh, you know dying on its ass as well now you know but if all these competitions have their day kind of thing yeah it's come as um, you know we, we do live in interesting times. I was quite intrigued by them. Is that the reports um, to what level? I don't know that the Premier League TV uh, viewing figures are down. And as you say, the Champions League seems to have pumped it up so much that, you know, um, a lot of songs says it loses meaning. And um, yeah. uh, I, th- I think the official strange. figures are down. Yeah, the official figures are down. But um, apparently it's due to other things as well, like people sky plusing games or watching them on YouTube or, you know, watching them by other methods. Um, but yeah, I think the bubble hasn't burst, but um, the balloons deflated a bit. Yeah. Where'd you stand on the checker trade? I mean, obviously that, that highly controversial um, change to it this season for fielding yeah, under yeah, twenty three sides produced a lot of heat uh, on online, hasn't it? Absolutely disgrace. I once went. To, I went cup, uh, just for the World Cup. No, it was actually during the World Cup. I went to some event where Michael Owen was speaking. And had Michael Owen being Michael Owen sat firmly on the fence and asked about, <laughs> you know, B teams being in the lower leagues. And it was clear that he wanted these B teams, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the Arsenal's and Liverpool's playing, you know, the likes of Millwall in the lower leagues because that's uh, the reserves will learn how to play football. It's like, well, no, you have proper reserve leagues, you know, or stop stockpiling all these players and, you know, needing competitions to get them, you know, games. You know, someone right. posted on um, on Twitter. I think it was I don't know if it was Stoke or West Brom. It was one of the um, the few Premier under twenty three sides still in the Checker Trade competition, and it, you know it, it's it's tag was it was going to develop English talent or, mm. or British talent, um, and I think their their under twenty three side was stacked with Italian and French and continental players, Spanish. Nothing against them, but that's not the point of the change. And um, yeah, but... it, it kind of did you know did it in there and then, didn't it? That was the Premier League, though, wasn't it? The Premier League was formed for the benefit of the England football team, so the England football team would win the World Cup. Yeah, that's worked well, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah. working out. Well, speaking about, you know, competitions that used to exist, what happened to the World Cup and the European Championships? The World They're Cup? They're still going on, aren't they? Because Scotland never seemed to be in there. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> There's a moment to close out, Neil. Thank you very much, mate. That's, no worries. That's fantastic. Um, Neil Andrews, thank you very much for your time. And we've got to do this obscurity stuff again some other time. So thank you, mate, for sticking with the uh, the wobbly Skype connection tonight. No, you're welcome. All the best, mate.
Being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.